You're listening to Decay Mag Horror Entertainment News Podcast Online source for news Interviews and trending topics Good evening everyone Thank you for tuning in Ken Artus here, founder for DK Mag. You're listening to DK Mag Podcast, Season 9, Episode 4. Joining me as co-host this evening is... Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DKMag.com. Be sure to stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash DKMag. Your donations will help us bring future episodes. As a patron, you'll receive bonus content as well as free and discounted on upcoming DK Mag merchandise. And in this podcast, we have three exclusive interviews. We have Nerov, actress and former Miss Nevada USA 2016, Emelina Adams. We're going to be discussing her latest, uh, her, her film debut as an actress in a horror film we're going to be diving into that topic. Follow that, we have director, writer, Michael Colombe. We're going to be discussing his short film, Soundbite. And definitely check out our review at dkmag.com on that horror short film, which is available on YouTube, by the way. And closing out our exclusive interview is writer, director, Devon Gallagher, she has an award-winning film currently on the film festival circuit which uh, we seen at the women of horror film festival a couple of months back it is called zed sty and it's filmed right here in our backyard in brooklyn we're in the bronx the movie was filmed in brooklyn so cool and yeah we have a bunch of topics to cover wow uh stacy uh, what do you think of this lineup? We have segment one, which is interactive. Yeah, so there's like a lot going on with the interactives uh, with these um, video game uh, walkthroughs or these trailers, especially uh, you got Metal Gear, Darksiders, that, those both were intense. And then it comes, and now is that supposed to be a video game or a movie? Ah, uh, yeah, VR. It's not just for video games, it's for films as well. And like I said, wow. save save your money because VR content is still a baby right now. Wait till it really develops. This is like the first stage. This is PlayStation 1 right now. Wait till it gets to PlayStation 4 type of graphics. Oh, it's going to be intense, especially for horror. Yeah, this... Uh trailer for it comes was creepy and i'm like wow vr is in movie. i didn't even know vr came to movies i thought it was only a video game experience so that's um that's actually exciting and i can't wait till it really kicks off and you know you have a wide range of films i mean do you know how exciting it would be to watch horror films in vr exactly yes and when i attended the VR experience here at Sotheby's a couple of years back. I thought it was just for video games. I it was totally blown away. They have animation. They have you could go into museums. You could visit uh, ruins in a different country. I, VR, con like I said, it's a baby right now. Wait till it 
fully develops and we could really incorporate all this technology into it it's gonna it's gonna revolutionize everything that we take for granted uh, for big screens video games everything i agree and next year they're gonna come up with just like all these um uh, TVs. I mean, VR TVs. I mean, you got the headsets now, but it's like there's going to be just this, all this equipment that I can just imagine like investing in a whole like room for VR. It, yeah. <laughs> I can imagine it. Yeah. Years down the line, but you know, I can just, uh, yeah. That's it's, exciting. Yeah. It would be something like Star Trek where they had the hollow deck and they pressed the button in the whole room. Oh, yeah transforms wow oh i can't that wait to technology awesome. get there <laughs> that would be amazing that would be awesome uh <laughs> that would be awesome let's imagine having a theater in your house you know that does that <laughs> and and for horror that means you can't escape the creature or the slasher you gotta run uh you better move the furniture out the way oh, if not yeah. you're gonna trip over it <laughs> I think VR would be way cooler with horror content than anything else. Oh, yeah. Because of, like, the intense nature of horror, you know? I mean, can you imagine watching, say, like, uh, a romance film (laughs) in VR? Well, (laughs) let me tell you, the porn industry has a lot of say when it comes to technology. I, I think I've read... I forgot which magazine, but I read that they were a huge influence on Blu-ray and uh, there was something else going on at the time. It was Blu-ray versus something else and eventually Blu-ray won. So VR, imagine porn really pushing VR. I mean, it's funny to say, but (laughs) yeah, uh, that would be the next step in, in it and uh, covering every aspect of adult content horror i don't think comedy would work well here yeah but sports yeah that's another area oh yeah definitely well without further ado let's kick it off uh with our first segment interactive Segment 1. Interactive. Metal Gear Concert Updates. Ken Artoos here for DK Mag and topic here is, well, news arose by mid-year 2018 that the symphony orchestra were going to be on tour for the metal gear concert series but unfortunately due to schedule changes beyond control every concert that was scheduled for this year which was going to be in october for los angeles uh, specifically october 10th and october 31st in new york is rescheduled the new dates would be march 23rd for new york and April 6th in Los Angeles. Now, for those who are unaware with the Metal Gear Orchestra Concert Series, it is a series that showcases many 
of the best songs from the Metal Gear Solid games, which includes the main theme sounds, songs such as Encounter, Father and Son, and a memorable song that fans of the series are acquainted with. The best is yet to come, Snake Eater, Heaven's Divide. And these songs would be performed live by vocalist Donna Burke. Uh, Stacy, uh, this is this is a unique for us. We're covering Metal Gear, and s- persons listening there say, Metal Gear, isn't that an action shooter? No, Metal Gear has a lot of science fiction involved in the plot. You have cyborg ninjas, you have robots, you have uh, these technologies that baffle the mind and it makes you wonder, wow, is that what the future is going to be? And that's why we're covering. And Stacy, I, as a gamer, I know you know the soundtrack is just as popular as the video game today than ever before. Well, I'd hardly call. I'd hardly call myself a gamer. <laughs> um, I've never played Metal Gear, but I, just listening to uh, watching this trailer and listening to the music i'm just at awe and at first i'm thinking like wow is this how it's going to be playing the game that is an intense experience right there and then i see the concert i was like oh this is a concert interesting yes we went to the final fantasy orchestra concert and i i haven't played final fantasy since the first game uh released but being in the concert and you have the giant screen that they show the footage of the game while the orchestra and the vocalist performs, it's a totally different experience, I tell you. Even if you're not a fan of a, of the particular game, just the experience alone. It's like you're going to an orchestra, like suit, tie, bow tie, and you're sitting there. Uh, but it's uh, it's fantastic experience. I definitely advise to attend if it hits in your major cities well you know what i think i think that this is i would just say that this is an awesome promotional uh concept here i mean this is just taking the you know advertising the game itself the brand itself to new limits is what it is right absolutely uh, for those who do not know, Metal Gear, it first popped up on consoles back in 1998. And since then, 30 years, it has sold 50 million units. And the last game that came out was titled Metal Gear Solid 5 Phantom Pain on the PlayStation 4 in 2015. And like I said, is yeah, you have action, shooter, and all that stuff, but... The main component here, from what I see, and I played um, a few games here and there from the Metal Gear series, it's there's a lot of science fiction involved, and it's it's pretty cool. I would suggest you. I mean, it's depending on your gamer level, it could be complicated, but the story is so good that yeah, you make the effort to finish the game. <laughs> well, yeah, we talk about. Um these games now and just how they're incorporating all these stories and you really just 
I mean, sometimes you just stay just for the story itself to see how it plays out. And um, the graphics, the picture is just amazing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like watching a film through your console, yeah. I tell you. And yeah, once again, Metal Gear Orchestral Concert Series. Once again, they have date changes. So, New York is going to be March 23rd, 2019, April 6th, Los Angeles. And in Los Angeles, it's going to be the Wilshire Elbow Theater. And in New York, is going to be at the United Palace Theater. Uh, with this schedule change from October, some persons may have purchased tickets. So, it's advised that go to where they purchased the tickets, switch, then they will get new tickets for the new dates for New York and for Los Angeles. I may very well pop up here myself in New York. Uh, that This is not to be missed, definitely. It is an experience. I wish it would touch down on different cities in the US. They only have New York and Los Angeles, and then overseas, they have Paris, and that's about it for overseas. Hmm. Maybe they'll add more locations. Huh. Weird. And I was just going to say, like, ah, uh, nothing good ever comes to Cleveland. Ohio, hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah, hello. We exist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's that's a huge trip right there from East Coast to West Coast and nothing in the middle. Uh, they should right. just, yeah, they should stop at least somewhere in the middle. Darksiders 3. Ken R2's here for DK Mag, and topic here is Darksiders 3, newly released on all major consoles PlayStation, Xbox, Xbox One, PlayStation 4. What can I say? This is one game that definitely complements both consoles. And for those who are familiar with the first installment, Darksiders, Darksiders 2, it's basically the same concept here. It is a game that is hack and slash. If you played God of War, if you played Bayonetta, it's the same type of concept. Uh, kill your enemies with the weapons that you have at hand, advance to the next level, kill bigger bosses, wrench, wash, and repeat. Uh, the game is going for $59.99 across major consoles. And wow, the trailer, amazing graphics here in the trailer itself. <clears throat> it really emphasizes the, it's pretty much direct. Get your weapon, kill your enemies. Not, nothing too complicated about that. Uh, Stacy, are you familiar with the Darksiders trilogy? You ever played it or played it a game similar to this? I mentioned Bayonetta, God of War. It this game pretty much reminds me of those it all falls into the same category um i've never heard of this trilogy uh i have played god of war 3 very briefly and when i say briefly um i tried it one day got creeped out and exchanged it for another game and i and i am ashamed to say which game i exchanged it for <laughs> wow one day 
one day I, I i just got stuck on this one level just running around in circles and then had this weird like creature that was kind of in the distance and i'm just like okay screw this game it's creepy and i cannot get past this level so i exchanged it the next day <clears throat> wow well <laughs> but uh speaking <laughs> of graphics though um i will say the graphics on this trailer is uh really great and honestly i thought i was watching a trailer to a film like an anime movie or something i didn't i didn't know at first this was a trailer for a video game yes and we yes. were just talking about you know the storylines and everything and this one definitely is one of the ones that takes the cake uh, absolutely this is the latest game from thq nordic and gunfire games a little bit about that here is a quote from david adams darksiders co-creator and president gunfire games he states our team spent over a decade bringing the story of the four horsemen of the apocalypse to life and we still feel like we're getting started he continues by saying darksiders 3 has been so much fun to make and we sincerely hope our fans love it as much as we do uh, i i played Darksiders 1 uh, a while back. I, I can't really remember if I enjoyed it or not. I remember I got it off of Gamefly and switched it over, got God of War and all the... Uh, that's why I pretty much put them all in the same because it's, it's a hack and slash game. You can't go wrong with that. Uh, very little. It's not like Resident Evil that you have to solve puzzles and stuff like that. And here's a little bit about Darksiders 3. Players return to the apocalyptic planet Earth in Darksiders 3, a hack-and-slash action-adventure where players take on the role of Fury in her quest to hunt down and dispose of the seven deadly sins. The Charred Council calls upon Fury to battle from the heights of heaven down to the depths of hell in a quest to restore the balance between good and evil and prove that she's the fiercest of the four horsemen well one thing i like about the game stacy the protagonist she's a girl <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah i was excited when i saw that too you see a lot of content now we see it in horror films that the female protagonists they're they're stronger now and i'm seeing it in a lot of games they're really emphasizing it especially look at laura croft the first she had big boobs and now she has you know she's a regular average girl she doesn't need to look like an oversized anime girl she <laughs> uh yeah I, I yes i agree and actually um i am more familiar with the tomb raider games than you know laura croft uh i'm actually playing rise of the tomb raider which is uh very hard but those games have always been hard so <laughs> yeah yeah those, those those can be quite challenging uh. and uh with with the graphics that you've seen from darksiders 3 i uh, see yeah. i just got an xbox one i really wanted a playstation for christmas they didn't have it in the stores so we got an xbox one boo but anyway <laughs> Seeing that Darksiders 3 is available for that, I would definitely pick it up and try it out. I 
believe is also available on Steam. I'm sure it is. So it's on that console as well. But this is a type of game, like I said, it's pretty pretty straightforward. And uh, I, Stacy, you should get your hands on this too. It's uh, it's not like God of War. I don't think I, I don't think God of War was <laughs> that challenging. <laughs> oh, I I don't know. I just got stuck in this uh, place and I couldn't figure out how to like where I needed to go so I just kept running around in circles and then I just looked off into the distance and there was this like big sea creature there and I'm like is that where I'm supposed to go but how do I get there so I literally just sat there for an hour running around in circles <laughs> and well, I got so fr- I told you see my patience with video games is such like blah like <laughs> if I'm just stuck too long somewhere then I give up <laughs> I really do. I don't keep trying. I just give up. Oh wow! I, I'm on. A, I'm unsure if God of War was an open uh, level. I think the new one is, but Dark Siders is open, open field, open level. That means you could roam everywhere, anywhere, uh, do side missions. Uh, that I like. I don't like being restricted on a one level. And you can't go beyond that point. I like to explore, pick up things. Uh, I'm sure the character needs potions and stuff like that to make herself stronger. Uh, yeah, I like this. Uh, yeah, huh, maybe I'll pick it up for Christmas. Uh, in when it when it uh, when all these sales clear out. Right now, the stores are so crowded with shoppers, especially last-minute shoppers. Yeah, gotta hit GameStop. <laughs> Well, see, I was going to get a PlayStation 4, uh, but Lyric, she's used to Xbox. She wanted Xbox One. Um, but also, the Xbox One was on sale like $50 cheaper. So I ended up getting it for like $225 versus the PlayStation 4. I think it was three, $300 mm. for the PlayStation 4. So I said, okay, I'll just get this one out. And then, and I like, I wasn't going to do the uh, Black Friday because I'm like, I don't mess with those crowds. Screw Black Friday. <laughs> I <laughs> tried that one year. No, those crowds are terrible. Wow, really? They're terrible. So I got to the store early before those massive crowds got there and just got everything off the shelf, you know, and, and I said next time, probably for her birthday, I'll get the PS4 and then we'll just have both. Ah, uh, you see... I, I would like that too, but since I don't play games as much, uh, we got we went to Black Friday and it was so smooth. It no problem, no crowd, no nothing. Like, wait a second, is this Black Friday? Okay, and we picked up a few video games. Of course, I got some horror titles, and yeah, I'm gonna see how long it's gonna take me to sit down and play them. I don't just no time, but like I said. Darksiders 3, I see a lot of gameplay on YouTube already as soon as this game came out. And it's it's one of those type of games that you could just sit back. Let's see. This is a spaghetti game. Yeah, you could eat some <laughs> spaghetti and play well, the game at the same time. <laughs> you know what game I'm playing right now? And um, am I actually like terrified of the game? Uh, I'm so terrified of it that I was like, I turned it off. I was like, okay, I'm gonna wait before I turn that corner. That's how terrified I am of the game. I'm playing Outlast. 
Oh, very oh, good uh, choice. Oh, jeez, I'm playing Outlast, and I'm in that. I mean, it's the very like beginning where I was in that library, and then kind of coming out of the library, and I'm literally kind of like peeking over every corner. <laughs> is that game? The game is that scary. I'm just like, oh, who plays this game? Oh, so, wow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, such a scary game. Wow. Well, let me tell you, uh, that's a good choice of game. And if you get your hands on, try uh, the the uh, the Evil Within two as well. That's 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 a yeah. highly recommended. You know, I I have to get the Evil Within back. Uh, I, you know, I, I lost. I didn't lose it, but it's gone, and I gotta get it back and then i also want to do evil within too but i didn't finish the evil within the first one so yeah I that game it. is hard yeah. oh is it hard once you get past that the pro what is it, the prologue they call it yeah before you begin to chapter one i was like are you serious <laughs> this was only the prologue and, and after that i was just like okay i'm in for one heck of a game right and and that's the difference between that type of game and Darksiders 3. You don't have to worry about that. Hack and Slash and Survival Horror, two different fields. You don't have to worry about all that complexities in, in this type of game. Yeah, I might as well pick it up. And I feel I like Survival it. Horror is just like, oh, I feel like Survival Horror games are just becoming near impossible. Well, at least for, um, for the ones who are not that big at gaming, I should say. It's just like near impossible. <gasps> I know what she's talking about. I've seen it. It comes VR experience. Stacy Cox here with DK Mag, and we're going to talk about It Comes, uh, the VR experience. And we mentioned this in that introduction. Uh, the first, at least that I've heard of, VR, uh, VR in movies. The synopsis, uh, nearly two decades after their mother's mysterious disappearance, Sophia and Cassie Lind receive an anonymous photo of their mother held captive in a remote village in Norway. Though doubtful of the photo's authenticity, the sisters are certain the cryptic photo holds the key to solving the decades-old question of their mother's disappearance. Along with the film crew, the sisters set out on a cross-country trek to uncover the truth. So this uh, seems like it's a found footage, but, oh, just judging by the trailer, it's probably maybe one of the uh, scariest, most intense found footage uh, concepts ever. Uh, Kim, what did you think about It Comes at, or It Comes? Yeah, It Comes <laughs> is, <laughs> wow, okay, It Comes should get a title change seriously whoever's this uh <laughs> directors distributors please uh it the title doesn't really fit the film it doesn't at all i know but I, let me tell you vr content is is in its infancy and we're seeing little by little more content 
provided on this platform that doesn't have anything to do with games. The misconception is that VR content, VR in general, is strictly games or anything related in that field. We have animation, you can visit museums, we have film, and in this case, it comes really looks interesting. I would say, if I would see this trailer for the movies, I would give it a hard pass. You know, I don't like found footage films at all. But imagine you have those gog goggles on, you have a, a, an immersive experience, you're in the film, yeah, I think this really elevates a found footage film to the next level. And it really makes it entertaining and scary. But of course, it has it, it plays a lot with the script. So if we're going to have 15 minutes of talk, then I'm not going to put on these goggles and waste my time. Uh, but not only that, um, you mentioned that uh, heightens the... Uh, just about the movie going experience experience in general like if uh, theaters start incorporating more VR films I mean that might just give people a reason to come out and spend well right now it's like $10 a ticket but with VR it'd probably be like twice that so say like $20 a ticket right <laughs> right to uh, watch that movie, you know, because it just adds a little bit more. I mean, not, just think about it. Nowadays, uh, theaters, they have started like incorporating things like you got the lazy boy, boy chairs now making it uh, much more comfortable to sit in the theater. You know, that gives a, a reason for people to come out. But I mean... As far as the movie going experience, it's kind of slimmed down a little bit, you know, especially with just the uh, convenience of finding things online. You know, you got all these uh, sites, these unsolicited sites and everything, these illegal sites where it's just that easy to find uh, films and everything on, right? Right. And and that's, that's a good thing with VR that filmmakers are exploring. Uh, they want money in their pocket, of course, and uh, you bring up a good point with uh, these bootleg films that get online somehow, some way. With VR content, there's going to be a huge time lapse between for that to happen, actually. And I see a lot of filmmakers are creating content for VR. This latest film it comes is from iSpark studios and yeah i would i would put on these gargoyles just enjoy the film this way uh you mentioned in the movie theaters they're trying to implement different things well they have 3d they have the lazy boy chairs this is uh right here in new york city they have 4dx which is uh water wind and uh, movement they're trying to enhance the experience uh, but in a few years movie theaters are going to be obsolete uh, vr is going to really change how we consume content and horror is really going to push it forward good material even found footage i don't like found footage and i'm curious about this movie yeah look go figure <laughs> 
Well, like you also you mentioned 3D, and it's like, what was the last time you actually saw a good 3D film? Um, I mean, they're coming out with all these quote unquote 3D movies, but not all of them are really meant for 3D. Right. And I can remember like a handful of films where it's like, okay, I wasted three dollars for these for these you know 3D glasses. The film wasn't even 3D really. The mm -hmm. 3D effects were horrible. Yeah. The only I feel like I think the only film that I enjoyed watching in 3D was um, Hardcore Henry. Oh wow, that well. Yeah. I I I remember that film. I did see watch it in 3D, and it got me sick because I get I'm sensitive to vertigo, and you know it, it was just all over the place and ups and downs and all arounds. I I couldn't deal with it. I had to close my eyes many times in the movie. Uh, I didn't really enjoy that film until it came out on TV. That's how bad my vertigo got. Uh, but I thought when my, when I experienced VR content a couple of years back here at Sotheby's, there was an exhibition. I thought having vertigo that would be that would have an effect, and it didn't. I part, I seen games, went into museums. I watched a, a pilot for an anime. Well, cartoon that they're going to install on t on VR. And I was like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And once the price drops on these things, and it's a more affordable for kids and parents, just like how tablets are right now, it's it would be amazing. I can't wait. And the first thing I'm going to jump up on is horror films. I just it, it, there's a certain thing that you're in the film, and there's you can't escape because the, the plugs are in your ear, the thing's over your head, and imagine, you're a big muscular guy, and you're gonna scream like a girl because you're scared. <laughs> well, just and just like I said, it's just the um, intense uh, nature of the horror genre alone, you know, that just heightens it even more. Right. And, um, yeah, and I would definitely, I'm with you. I, I don't like found footage, but with VR, I would I would probably go see it uh, by those, you know, goggles just to get the VR experience. Right, right. Hey, hey it comes, looks, looks good. I want to know what this creature is. I'm intrigued by the, the synopsis alone. Uh, like I said, if it was coming out in the movies, I would give it a pass. I'm not into found footage, but this is VR. It perhaps well, is something totally different from what we are used to. Well, a little more here on It Comes. The village, long since abandoned, is said to be roamed by the Norwegian boogeyman, the Buse Man. Confined to the village by an ancient curse, legend has it that for the curse to be lifted, the abused man's name must be repeated three times by a living descendant of the village. Along the trek on a drunken dare, mention the demon's name has set it free. Now it comes for them, comes for us all. Mm. Norwegian boogeyman. Have you ever seen a Norwegian boogeyman? Uh, oh, no, thankfully not. And I'm not going to repeat his <laughs> name. But you know what? I'll wait to watch the film and I see this yeah. uh, <laughs> boogeyman on film in VR. <laughs> <laughs>
That's an interesting concept. I like. I yeah. I, I enjoy this folklore installed into the. Uh, it's something different, and that's what we need. We always ask for something different. It comes, presents something different to the table, something original. Dear Carl Stein, we are happy to announce you've been appointed a landlord of the Class D apartment block on Krushwitz 6. Beholder on Nintendo Switch, Beholder 2 on Steam. Kenner 2 is here for DK Mag, and the topic for this next segment is Beholder, which the complete edition arrives on the Nintendo Switch December 6th. And Beholder 2 will release on Steam December 4th. For those who are unaware what Beholder is, uh, most likely, in my opinion, it's going to be a trilogy. This game has gotten so popular on Steam and the DLCs accompanying the first installment, Beholder, which the complete edition would be on the Nintendo Switch. It's... The, the setting for this game is in a dystopian future where the player, you're the player, assume the role of a landlord. And in the building that you manage, there are tenants. And you have to snoop around and listen, watch, observe, or report what the tenants are doing to the government. Now, how does that fall into what we normally cover here at DKMAG? Well, this is a dystopian future. A future in which there is totalitarianism, the government rules everything, and we have seen this countless times on science fiction films from the, the first film that should pop into mind automatically is 1984, that film itself. I personally enjoy this concept. Imagine that it's up to you to rat out your tenants, to gain money, to gain power, or do you keep it a secret? And your decisions along the way will affect your character. Either you'll, you'll get captured for not reporting it, or you get rewarded for reporting it. So it's one of those games that is based on your decisions. Stacy, what did you think of this trailer and all this backstory for this character well you know what i first thought when i uh, watched it is that it reminds me a lot of uh a game that my daughter like or should i say she likes to watch the youtube trailer for this game is called bendy and the ink machine and the graphics remind me so much of that and um i should i love the graphics right it, it's it's simple but it's not yeah. simple it's 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 really revolutionary i gotta admit uh, how popular this game is it won metacritics 100 most talked about game of 2016 ign russia's best adventure game in 2016 one of the eight finalists gdc's best play 2017 so it wasn't a surprise to me when beholder 2 
uh, went quickly into production, into development, and now it's going to make it onto Steam uh, December 4th. Amazing game. And if you have Steam who on, installed on your PC, check it out. Or if you have a Nintendo Switch, the Complete Edition is coming on that as well on December Hey, it makes a good Christmas gift. <laughs> yes, and actually, I I love the uh, synopsis here, where the state controls everything. Survival is a struggle. Uh, someone is always watching. I'm like, oh wow, that seems um, a little bit scary and intense. <laughs> right, <clears throat> and you know what? It just art imitates reality. That's what we're living at right now. We use our cell phones. We use our smart TVs. These things are monitoring us, watching us. And yeah, we are at the hands of whoever it is that is watching us. We see it so many times on TV. Uh, someone gets caught because they tweeted something or they did this or they did that on the computer whoa how did you know come on it's scary because we're living in it not because it's a video game oh you know you're so right and you see those memes where they're actually speaking lightly on that and it's it's all entertainment you know it's all humor but i do believe that that some part of that meme is actually true yeah, and that's that's the scary reality we are in right now. And behold it too, latest game from Alawar. Here is a quote from Invinji's sister, producer at Alawar Premium. Quote, Beholder 2 shows another side to the Aurelian dystopia, the ministry, where we continue to stick with rich stories moral choices and multiple ending this time we've ramped up on the overall absurdity unquote yeah once again beholder you make decisions whatever decisions that you make affects your character so uh, sort of like real life but with more dire consequences for those who oh, have yeah yeah this is an amazing game it's a great concept i enjoy it Oh yeah, it looks like, you know, very simple uh, graphics and everything, but a complex uh, story. So it's definitely, it's definitely worth checking out. Right. And, and here's, here's the kicker. Here's the little bonus for every player who bought the original game on Steam will automatically get a 20% off coupon for Beholder 2 releases December 4th. And it's selling, yeah, it's selling for 15, well, 14.99, 15 bucks. Not bad. You're getting a great game and $20 off if you bought the first one. And on the flip side, if you have a Nintendo Switch, then you're getting December 6th is the release date. And you're getting $14.99, $15, and you're getting the DLC plus Beholder, which was one DLC that did release accompanying the first game. Interesting. Yeah, so 
Christmas is right here, around the corner. Check it out. And that trailer is intense. I really enjoy that trailer. It looks like a little. They should make an anime of of, of this game. It is that good? You finally got here. Hope you're ready because I always play to win. <laughs> Let's see who's got the move. Goosebumps VR. Slappy's haunted Christmas. Stacy Cox here with DK Mag, and we're talking about Goosebumps, Slappy's haunted Christmas, an augmented reality mobile gaming application where users can play 3D games that interact with the real world. Today released Slappy's Haunted Christmas uh, by Crikey in partnership with Sony Pictures Home Entertainment for Goosebumps uh, 2 AR Takeover. Uh, Crikey is bringing the Goosebumps villain Slappy, the ventriloquist dummy, the ventriloquist dummy to life with a total of three AR games. The first game Trap Slappy Challenge launched on October 8th. Uh, the third and last the third and last AR game is set to release in December during the home entertainment window. Uh, Crikey is currently available on the App Store and Google Play for free. Uh Kim, what did you think about Slappy's Haunted Christmas? Have you actually, have you played the mobile uh, game for Goosebumps? That, I am going to be completely honest. I must <laughs> be one of the rare persons that does not have not a single game on my mobile device. Nothing at all. <laughs> everything on my mobile device has to do with scheduling and reporting and calendars i don't have nothing nothing not even well, you know i have nothing. a few <laughs> mobile games um but the thing is like i don't really like playing games on my phone so it's like i'll download a game out of boredom i'll start playing it and then just like with a you know video game if i get stuck somewhere then I kind of put it away for a little bit. Like I'm playing, what is it? Uh, the Friday the 13th horror killer puzzle. Yeah. And I'm just like, it, it's really fun, but then it just gets to the point to where it's like almost impossible. So it's like, okay, I've reached, uh, you know, the level where I can easily play this game. Now I'm just stuck on this one level. I've been stuck on it for weeks. I'm just like, forget it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Goosebumps. Uh, let me let me tell you. Uh, I did enjoy the Goosebumps TV show. I've seen. I didn't see yeah. all of it. I've seen sprinkles here and there. The books. I have the whole collection in my library. Uh, have I read them all? No, but they sure look good on the bookshelf. Uh, well, <laughs> at the time, my son was reading them, so I didn't get a chance to read them myself. Anyway, the game itself. Well. VR games, Stacy. I know you've seen that they've become very popular. We have The Walking Dead that has really taken over. Uh, first it was Pokemon Go, then it was The Walking Dead. Now we have Goosebumps. Uh, the problem I see here is it's so annoying, especially in New York, that people are looking at their phone, their mobile devices, and not paying attention walking down the street. 
Now I gotta watch out for people trying to catch Slappy and that even it compounds the problem <laughs> of foot traffic. No, that is totally wrong. <laughs> Well, I was laughing because you remember that whole phase of uh, Pokemon Go. <laughs> yes, yes. It reminds me of that. Of that. Um, but you know, I guess my annoyance with games like that is, like as I've mentioned before, you know, with that article I wrote about, you know, Sappy's haunt. I think it was Halloween, the mobile game. Yes. And the thing is with games like that, it, and at this is like the set, like. Similar. I don't know if it's similar to that game or if it's different, but uh, there's a thing where you know it it becomes expensive. Like it's either either it's at a standstill or it's expensive. If you want to progress in the game, you know you get to where you know you're decorating your neighborhood and stuff like that, and you know doing your little tasks, and you have one or two choices. Um, you either wait to wait, um, what is it? You either wait to uh, get your coins or whatever it is, or you invest money if you want to play quicker or sooner. Right. Right. And that's a complaint with a lot of uh, users or people who play those games. If you read along the um, reviews in the app store, you'll see a lot of them complain about that. Right. And I don't blame the complaints, but at the same time, as a developer, the they're looking for ways to make money off the game. I, I'm, I'm not sure how long it takes to develop a game like this. I don't know. I'm not going to say I know. But yeah, as a developer, they want their little pocket change for it. And I've seen that transition over to consoles. We have uh, this popular game, I uh, can't remember the name right now, that also has in-game in transactions. So if you want to get a bigger gun that shoots fire bullets and you really need it, yeah, you got to shell out $10 to buy that gun. Well, I guess it's, I guess it's becoming the norm now and gamers are accepting that developers want their pocket change uh, the, the only complaint I have for this game is uh, is just the virtual reality aspect there a game like this would be good for VR as we discussed in the earlier segment with it comes you have the device over your head and you could interact but walking down the street trying to catch a Pokemon trying to catch slappy avoiding zombies yeah i've i've seen and heard the stories people get hit by cars and stuff like yeah. some people don't pay attention <laughs> they don't pay attention and these games like this is just inf encouraging people not to pay attention and honestly i could tell you i don't know what was the whole um excitement over pokemon go i downloaded that game for like three days and I kept catching the same Pokemon, so I guess I've conjured that you had to be an, a good uh, traveler in order to really successfully play the game. Otherwise, if you're just going to like, you know, your same route every day, you're going to be catching the same Pokemon every day. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I've got so actually, I I was at this one point where this is where I actually uninstalled the game. I said, okay, I'm I'm starting to become uh, obsessed. I got down to my job because you know my job is on the lake, and there was a Pokemon on the app that I could get, but I had so I started asking uh, the engineers of my job, do you have a boat? There's a Pokemon out on the lake that I need to get. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, Stacey, you're getting too involved into this game. So I'm like, you're getting too involved into this game. So I, yeah, I uninstalled the app. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, uh, Goosebumps, eh, as, a, as a game, nah. I, I, I'm not saying the game is no good. No, uh, it, it should entertain those who really appreciate this type of uh, gameplay. But for me, I would see it more as a VR game or with a deep storyline. The graphics in the in the trailer doesn't do it justice, and I'm assuming it does not look like that in in when you download the game. But overall, it would appeal to youngsters that. But you know what it should be because there's actually a video game, a Goosebumps video game. Like I used to have the game on uh-huh. Xbox One. So I feel like instead of making it a mobile game, it should be a video game and that will like that'll make it better. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we all know how the uh, movies to video game adaptations uh how they come about. But if, if you're a fan of the movie or the books or whatever, or the series, yeah, the, a console game would make better sense in that aspect. But every every developer is jumping on mobile games. This is the hot thing now. Portable, access, interactive. We're going to see a lot more games like this that you got to... They, they bring the, the creatures or the characters into your world and you got to squish them, catch them, avoid them. Segment 2. Exclusive Interviews. Miss Nevada USA 2016. Emelina Adams. Kicking off Segment 2. Exclusive Interview. I have a conversational interview with Emelina Adams. Miss Adams is Miss Nevada USA 2016. But now she's going to be starting her career in horror cinema. Her role as the character Isabella will be in the upcoming thriller The Summoning which will release according to INDB on the 14th of February 2019 here's an excerpt of The Summoning excited about entering a life-changing reality show competition Amy relies on new age religion vision boards chakras and her new life coach Liz to help her gain the edge over seven other gorgeous intelligent young women. If Amy wins, she receives one million dollars and an open door to her entertainment career. Unknown to Amy, her life coach Liz practices Reiki and reads tarot cards, not as a hobby, but as a true believer to the point where she is a member of a secret coven of witches. 
Once again, our conversational interview with Emelina Adams, we'll be delving in her career, Miss Nevada USA, achieving her goals into beauty pageant world and as well as her evolution as an actress. We'll also be diving into topics of horror in general. So without further ado, here is my interview with Miss Nevada USA 2016, Emelina Adams. To kick off the interview, let's begin with an origin story. Uh, let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, humble beginnings, leading up to wow, Miss Nevada 2016. <laughs> Amazing accomplishment and your acting career. Well, thank you so much. Um, yeah, so I've always wanted to be in the entertainment industry, and I've always wanted to pursue modeling and acting, and it was something I did on the side, um, and I was going to college. I went to the University of Arizona, and um, my parents, they were like, you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer. And I was like, well, I really want to try modeling and acting. I feel like I got nothing to lose, but I didn't know how to get into that. And so I was like, well, maybe if I do beauty pageants, this will be kind of like, um, a foot in the door kind of thing, more exposure, more opportunities. And a lot of people just think that beauty pageants are walking across the stage, but I would train for like eight months ahead of time and I would just be working on my health and fitness and walking lessons. Um, and I would do, um, interview questions as well and I knew nothing about politics and so I was googling stuff every day um, different terms and watching the news and you really have to know what's going on with world news and local news and nationwide news and so I felt like I knew what I was talking about you really have to be prepared for anything <laughs> right, um, right. you never know what they're going to ask you um, and so it took me three times to win. Um, the first pageant I competed in was in 2014, and I placed top 10. I went into it just knowing, okay, I'm going to have fun. Um, I don't expect to win, but I ended up loving it. I wish I started competing in pageants when I was younger. Um, and then I, when I was going to school in Arizona, um, I competed for Miss Arizona in 2015, and I placed first runner-up. And then once I graduated, I was like, well, I would rather represent my home state of Nevada. I was born and raised in Las Vegas. Um, and then I won, and I went on to Miss USA. Um, it was not easy, but it was definitely worth it. And so after my year of being Miss Nevada, I moved to LA um, a little over a year ago, and I have been pursuing my dreams of modeling and acting here in LA. Outstanding, outstanding story. And your origin story, it seems common uh, with many of the interviewees on our podcast 
they offer the same course in their life, meaning that they wanted to pursue the performing arts, but yet the parents said mm-hmm. otherwise. No, you have to go to college. You have to go to the nine to five. You need to build up your 401k yeah. plan. But that's not uh, the case. Uh, it's always you need to pursue that passion of what what's in your heart. Yes. And I think I've always really been passionate about the arts. I was in choir for five years. I played piano for five years. Um, I liked, I took art classes and that's something I've always loved. And I feel like I've always had this creative side of me. And so I think that that's what inspired me to wanting to be in this industry. Uh, absolutely. Once again, uh, congratulations on your accomplishment of winning this Nevada. Oh, thank you so much. It was so much fun. It was such a good year. Um, it was it was really really good. And another another thing here, uh, you you kept at it, and that's that's amazing. Uh, for some persons, they will find that, that first loss uh, of not achieving the goal. Uh, and they will get deterred from that and they'll jump back into the nine to five or whatever uh, predetermined mm-hmm. life course that is. But it's always you have to do the daily grind and really go at it until you succeed yeah. and then continue after the success. Yeah, definitely. And I was very frustrated when I um, I did not win uh, the second time because I felt like I just put my heart and soul every single day. I was eating super healthy and working out, training every single week with my pageant coaches on interview. And I just, oh, I, I feel like I've never worked so hard at something that I was just like so upset, but I was like, you know what? I have to keep going um and luckily i i do have very supportive parents and my dad has always taught me your mindset you just need to stay positive and you need to believe in yourself and just need to keep going and i felt like okay this next time when i compete that i'm just going to envision winning and that i have already won and i felt like because i had that confidence about myself that that really helped helped me win and helped have that mindset all weekend because it is such a stressful pageant weekend. You know, it, they start judging you before you you even get to the pageant, I feel like, you know. Mm, right. They're yeah. always watching you on social media. and So you just, just need to do your best and believe in yourself, not give up. Absolutely. And, and you hit the nail on the head when you say the visualization part that is so important uh, for for many dreamers and content creators out there. You have to visualize. And one thing I emphasize is uh, don't think I'm going to be a journalist. No, you are a journalist. You have to keep mm-hmm. that positive mindset. Exactly. And I, I feel like... For the longest time, I was like, I don't feel like a model. I feel silly saying that, like, <laughs> but I, I just, I, I am a model. That's what I do. That's how I, I make my income. Um, and then I feel like 
ever since I moved to LA, like it's definitely, it's been a lot harder. There's way more competition out here. Um, But I feel like you just have to keep going. Right. And that brings us to the next evolution in your career, which is acting. And you have, according to INDB, uh, you have making your debut in this upcoming psychological supernatural horror film, The Summoning, which you portray the character Isabella. Uh, the film has not released yet, but what can you tell us about this character? What are you able to share? Okay, well, um, I play Isabella, and she is a um, a Hispanic beauty entertainer, um, and she is one of the beauty contestants in the film. The film is about eight different beauty pageant contestants who go on a reality talent competition. And this was perfect for me because it's about beauty pageant girls. (laughs) Um, And I was really excited about this and just excited that this is my first acting job that I've ever done (laughs) with speaking lines. So that's, very exciting and the girls they go and stay in this house for like a week while they do the competition and there's there's something that's haunted in the house and all this crazy stuff happens and um that's all really i can share but um i have some really good screens in the film (laughs) the director called me his screen queen so you guys will see why when that comes out. Oh, yes. And the director, Harvey Lowry, as a matter of fact, it was a coincidence uh, getting some information about the film. He directed uh, a film that we had covered a few years back, and it was a coincidence. Like, wow. It's like we come full circle and the, the film was Monday at 11.01 a.m. in 2016. Oh, wow. Yeah, I really liked working with him. Uh, yeah, he's, he's a really cool guy. And um, he's worked on a lot of really great projects, some really big projects that I didn't even know about. So it was, it was such a amazing experience i just love being on set and we got to film in fallbrook um it's like it's just close to san diego and we filmed out in rancho cucamonga and um it is supposed to come out in february i think the dates are getting pushed a little back because they have like a few more dates left to film um but it should be really cool. Snoop Dogg is in it. Um, there's also the girl who was on Seventh Heaven, Beverly Mitchell, and Stephen Baldwin. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I was, was checking out the cast. Yeah, and when it's it's surprising. Uh, this is the this is not the first time I've seen. Uh, someone move over from the beauty pageant or uh, that arena 
and jump into their first role in a horror film. So how was that experience? Like your first gig and here you are, you have to portray so, uh, a role in something scary and psychological. I know. It's, <laughs> it was it was very intense, especially my big scene. It was it was so much fun to film but um I've been training for the last year with um, different acting coaches and scene study and on camera and improv. So that has like really helped me. Um, but it's just, it's just funny because I'm so like, everyone thinks of me, oh, she's a pageant girl, a sweet, like quiet pageant girl. And then in this, I'm supposed to have this like bold personality and just be kind of out there and just I'm loud and screaming and it was it was a good time <laughs> it's fun playing something you're not how you're not really in person so that was really fun right and for horror and psychological thrillers uh, that is mm -hmm. the perfect arena to really test your art craft and acting because you have to really uh, use your mindset and convey sometimes on set let's say for example the creature effects is not there so you have to project a sense of fear or a sense of terror uh, yeah. right there in front of the camera yeah and I had to do that too in my scene because it's like a, a paranormal like there's like a witch ghost in the film that's haunting the house and scaring the girls in the house and um I had to pretend like I I see her and um she she's a real person there's an actor who's who's the witch ghost um it's it was really fun working with her I got really close with her um you'll see why in the film um <laughs> yeah and I I just really think that uh, I, I love horror films. I, I've always liked horror films. Um, and it's a really great genre to start out in. Oh, yeah, that was going to be my next question. Uh, what, what were your sentiments on horror film? And, and would you see yourself continuing in this genre? I would love to continue in this genre. Yeah. Um, I really like like the Bloomhouse movies um i just saw halloween i loved it i loved the movie it and i i really like horror films that have like a really good story to them and it's not just scaring <laughs> um i also i like those paranormal activity movies and the fourth kind i, I still rewatch a lot of those old horror movies um, and I, I think I, I've always loved Halloween. It's always been my favorite holiday. And I think that's why I've always really liked horror films. Great. That's good to hear. I'm looking forward to your next role. This film hasn't released yet, but I'm looking forward to your next one. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fun. And just like the special effects, the, um, the guy who did all the makeup on set, he did some really cool uh, makeup that oh, I thought it looked like it was they they did that for just with special effects but he did it just on set and it just, it looks so cool 
it's really movie magic. <laughs> and uh, for um, a point that you just made right now with the storyline, I personally have shared the same sentiment. I enjoy horror or thrillers that have a good mm -hmm. story and character arcs. Character, the, you yeah. have a strong character. That's that's the shining element right there. Yeah, definitely. I think it just really makes the story more interesting. And and then there's sequels, and then you get viewers that just want to keep seeing those movies because it's just such a good storyline. Mm. Basing on the summary on INDB, which goes into detail on the summoning, the summoning I'm just going to pick out a few highlights here. And one is being that the summoning focuses on uh, witches and tarot cards and magic. And it's a coincidence mm -hmm. because in our previous episode of the podcast, we were elaborating on the current landscape in which filmmakers should be more sensitive uh, for different religions. And the topic arose because the Satanic Temple was suing Sabrina TV series on Netflix because of their oh, wow. yeah because they were projected in a I negative just watched light. That whole season. <laughs> you, you have you watched it? I did. I watched the entire season right when it came out. <laughs> I actually auditioned for Sabrina <laughs> a uh, year ago. Uh, I was waiting for it. I still haven't seen it yet. My wife saw the whole series. I'm like, don't spoil it for me now. <laughs> I will. <laughs> no, I'm saying to my wife. <laughs> I asked my wife. So I said, "Don't spoil it," uh, because she would do that to me. Uh, uh, but, I won't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, uh, but for the summoning, uh, what what are your opinions? Uh, being that it deals with the Salem witch, and as I elaborated, filmmakers should be more sensitive with different religions. Gosh, that's a that's a tough question. And with this movie, um, there is actually like a Christian meaning behind it. And mm. the woman who wrote the film, she is very religious and she is Christian. Um, and so is the other writer, um, Tony Sands. And um, I don't know. I think I'm. I mean, I'm sure people are going to get mad about religion and mm -hmm. stuff that people talk about with politics but it's all it's all fun it's all film it's all it's all to tell a story i i don't think that anyone should be super angry about that kind of stuff i i understand where they're coming from um i'm catholic but i mean it's it's movie magic. I mean, it's it's fun. It's fun to learn about that kind of stuff. Um, and even with the witches, like I I loved Halloween so much that my family took me back to Salem oh. when I was eight years old <laughs> to go see where the the witch trials were in 1692. And I just find all that like so fascinating. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's something that people should be taken seriously. Right. Yeah. Oh, I 
I'm so jealous. I have not visited Salem yet, uh, and it's right in my backyard. <laughs> oh, it is. It's so close to you. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh, you should go. I know. It's on my to do list. Halloween. <laughs> exactly. That's what I meant. <laughs> it's really cool. Uh, th- that and Sleepy Hollow are two areas that I would like to visit. <laughs> I would love to go there. Is that in New York? Yes, yes. It's a, it's a couple of hour drive away. Wow. Yeah, I remember <laughs> that movie. That was really good. <laughs> yeah. And another aspect for the summoning that I see... Uh, oh, thank you for that answer, by the way. And, and I do agree. Um, certain groups do take uh, uh, film or art too literal and to the heart. Uh, but in, yeah. the, in the field of horror, it's it's, it's expression and di- taking different ideas and really conveying a story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. Uh, another aspect for the summoning is the social commentary on uh, reality shows, which is so popular. I mean, wow, every channel seems to have them. And <laughs> what was your take when you read the script? And they're using this social commentary, uh, much, let's say, like a parody for horror. Yeah, I saw that part and I was like, oh, no, (laughs) (laughs) it's a reality show. (laughs) But I feel like it's it's not cheesy in that aspect. And Mm -hmm. because I have done beauty pageants, especially Miss USA, I feel like they are actually trying to turn it more into a reality show um i'm not against reality tv there are shows out there that i do like and watch but um i think it it makes it it adds kind of like a humor to the film um so it's not just dark and scary but um there's there's definitely a lot of funny moments um in the film too that make it fun. Mm, yeah, and for reality shows on TV, it goes across the board. I've seen some of the some of these shows on MTV. And like, wow, so people do actually watch this. No, <laughs> it makes me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but watching it in the summoning, I, I'm looking forward to the social commentary there because it's it's widely accepted. It's uh, widely consumed and it's uh, the future of content on tv actually for some weird reason (laughs) yeah i know i feel like they come out with new shows every single day with reality tv (laughs) for practically every (laughs) subject from bakers to i don't know shoemakers (laughs) (laughs) yeah seriously they really do uh with with your acting debut and this uh upcoming thriller what are your opinions of female's contribution to horror so far given that you have uh seen horror films and are, are an aficionado of the genre um i think i think it's it's been portrayed in a positive way. Um, 
I think there are some very strong female characters. There are in, in the film I'm in, and I think there are in other horror films too. Um, not not all women get killed <laughs> in every <laughs> film, so that's that's good. Um, I. I, I'm not going to say what happens to my character, but um, I I think I have a pretty strong character. Mm. And that that's is the growing trend right now uh, with women in horror. They mm -hmm. have a they have strong uh, characteristics now in comparison to the slasher films let's say for example where the female would be running in the woods and become the instant victim <laughs> yeah i think we've come a long way from that that's for sure <laughs> not just the helpless damsel in distress <laughs> which is amazing i'm glad it's not just like that anymore and there are a lot more powerful female roles and i hope that continues to grow right and even as for behind the scenes yeah chris gilmore uh penned the script and we also have female directors who are really pushing the envelope with the uh, content and horror in that aspect do you see yourself mm -hmm. not only in horror but in film production in general moving on to become writer or director or producer Yes, I would honestly, I would love to write, direct, and produce a film. I think that that would be amazing, just be in every kind of category. Even if I wasn't an actor, I would still want to be behind the scenes. I, I love the industry. I love what, I just love learning about the different parts and different roles that everyone plays behind the scenes. Um, I've always really liked writing and that's always been my strong suit in school. I sucked at math. Yeah. <laughs> so Same here. I was pretty good at writing. <laughs> uh, I think it would be really fun to write something and hopefully direct and produce it one day. Uh, that's that's great. Uh, uh, upcoming goals and I have to agree I I'm very bad with for me mathematics is hieroglyphics but writing is my strong yeah. suit <laughs> <laughs> mine too <laughs> one arena that I see um, interviewees on our podcast they emphasize the desire to create original content whether it be for Facebook Instagram or YouTube Is that another area that you wish to explore to hone your craft as writing, producing, and acting? Yes, and even in my acting class this year, my teacher, he had us write a scene for ourselves and then write a scene for someone in our class. And it was so much easier writing a scene for myself, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I know myself better. And I actually wrote this scene for... Um, the person in my class, I made him a serial killer, um, but nobody knew he was a serial killer. Uh, <laughs> he, just, he just came off as like a normal guy. But um, I've been really wanting to do something on YouTube or make little skits that I can post on Instagram. Um, I really think creating your own content is 
so important, especially now. If you can, if you can write and direct and produce your own content, and then I really think that will make you stand out and that will get you noticed. And so I think that is my next plan of action as 2019 comes in. I think that's something I would really love to do. Right. Yeah. You have to use the the available tools at your disposal. And, and it's working out for many actors and actresses when they create their own content. It You'd be surprised on who watches the content and that could lead to bigger projects. Oh, yeah, totally. And I I even got some um, some lights and I got um, an okay, a decent starting camera so I can record videos and upload stuff. But um, I, I, I definitely I want to start taking some classes on how to make my own videos. I think they have them for free at Apple. And I think that would just be so beneficial for me, even just making my own self tape. Um, it's funny. I thought being in LA, oh, I'm just going to go in for all my auditions, but they all, they all want me to send in a self tape. Mm. So I really, yeah, I really think um, learning how to do that would be awesome. Right. Right. Uh, running down, we have uh, two last questions for the interview, but now I'm curious uh, that that you mentioned the audition phase. Is, is it more common now for the audition phase to ask for the uh, for the for the acting reel as opposed to you just walking in and reciting the lines as more traditional than I'm aware of? Well, a lot of casting directors, I feel like they won't even see your profile on Actors Access unless you have a reel. Mm. So having a reel is very important. Um, but for auditions, they usually send you the sides the day before. So you have that day and night to prepare and then you go in the next day. Um, I've only had a few in-person auditions. Um, mostly it's been self-tapes. Okay. And so I usually have a friend self-tape me and I have a little self-tape set up at my house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, the first of the last question is more of the inspirational uh, tidbit. Some information that you would like to share for upcoming actors, actresses uh, across the age demographic if they want to pursue the performing arts, what advices would you give for them? Um, I would definitely tell them to hone your craft. I think that is the most important thing you can do. Um, it's not just reading lines. <laughs> you definitely, and I didn't realize how much, how many different classes there are, and you really do need to be prepared and improv on camera scene study um you know comedy multi-cam single cam drama there's so many different genres and i'm still learning i still need to learn a lot and just to never give up and believe in yourself and stay positive it's it's not an overnight success um it's all about the journey 
and enjoy it while you can because it's going to be a long one. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. It's a long <laughs> journey. And as I mentioned, some some people may find it too daunting or they trip on the first failure, but you, you got to just keep at it, actually. Yes, it, I know. And I, I have I have my times where I feel like I'm stuck in a rut and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I doing? I don't have a career yet. <laughs> like, but you can't be so hard on yourself. You can't be so critical of yourself and you can't let these agents tell you that you're not good enough mm. or you're not tall enough or you don't, you're not a good actor. You can't let them define you and who you are. And you just need to be the best you can be and be the best version of yourself and just always be working on yourself so you can get to the top. Absolutely. And final question for our interview, which is basically, it's not a question. It's an open platform where you get to plug in your film, the summoning, uh, anything else you care to add or like upcoming projects and your social media handles. Okay. Well, um, right now I, I am not working on any upcoming films yet, but hopefully I am when pilot season comes around in January. Um, I've just been doing a lot of print jobs. I actually just shot for um, M&M Couture yesterday, their evening gowns, which was really fun. So those should be coming out soon. And I just did some print campaigns for Dream Girl, the lingerie company. Um, but you can follow me on Instagram at Emelina Adams. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time once again and all the best to your career. I'm looking forward to seeing uh, your upcoming role and all the best. Uh, I, I do appreciate your time and your inspirational words. Oh, well, thank you so much, Ken, for having me. It was so great talking to you. Um, I look forward to talking to you again in the future. Segment 2. Exclusive Interviews. Director, writer Michael Coulomb Soundbite. Our second interview is with writer-director Michael Columbe. Mr. Columbe is an award-winning and nominated writer and director from Los Angeles, California. He wrote and directed his first short film titled Axe back in 2012 and co-wrote a feature film script titled Eden Falls with Martin Rogers and Emmy winner and writer of the original Fighter the 13, Victor Miller. In this conversational interview, we will be discussing Mr. Columbe's latest release, the short film titled Sound Bite, currently available on YouTube. Also, be sure to stop by dkmag.com for our review of Soundbite, which released the 31st of October 2018. Here's the synopsis for Soundbite. A young lady stumbles upon a website that introduces her to a new song, Death Song. But what happens when 
people listen to it. Michael Columbe serves as director and co-writer alongside Bradley J. Brown. Without further ado, here's a conversational interview with Michael Columbe. And to kick off the interview, please share an origin story, a little bit about yourself, your background, humble beginnings, leading up to your interest in creating visual narratives. Oh, of course. Uh, well, just, just so you know, I'm still humble. So I try to try to remain humble. I um, actually started working in an office. I didn't even start my career, my film career, until I was 30, almost 31. Uh, I was working in an office and... I mean, I started, I started, I was, I grew up being a performer, so I grew up being a singer, and then I started writing at the age of 10, but they didn't really understand how to, I guess, make anything happen. So like everybody else, I started working, and I, I got my first job at the age of like, like my first office job at the age of 20, almost 21, and I worked in an office for about, yeah, almost 10 years, and then one day I was just like, I have to make this happen. So I, I studied script supervising, which because I wanted to be a writer, it sort of helps you understand script breakdown and it gets you on set. And so I studied the the craft of script revising, never really intending on doing it or doing it for long. Um, and then at the age of 31, I literally just walked off my job. I went into human resources and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I quit. I didn't have a lot of money saved. I don't, I don't, I don't expect everybody to do it the way that I did it, but I just was like, 30, 31, and I can't do this anymore. So I did. I walked into my uh, my office and I said I quit. And four days later, I was on my first movie, helping out a friend. And uh, I've been doing it for about twelve years now. Awesome. So, and I never expected to be a script supervisor. Now I've worked on like over two hundred projects. So I work a lot, and I love it. Well, of course, that is the driving force. <laughs> do what you love. And, and the money will come eventually, of course, but it's always you have yeah, to do something that you really have passion about. Well, definitely, like, I mean, I, I do very, I'm, I'm able to, to, to work full time now and, and, and do well, but it was always a concern was, you know, I got I hear some people now, they're like, I want to do it, but I have to make money to live. And I was like, that's true. But I go, you could also work at a job you don't like and make good money and then be miserable. Right. So it's like, you kind of want to pick what's better. It's like, it might take you a little bit longer to get where you want to go, but at least you're doing what you love, you know? Right, right, because then absolutely. It's, like, it's gone by so fast in, in such an amazing way. You know what I'm saying? Right. Oh, so, I could relate I to know. your story one million percent because I was in the same predicament. I had the office job for 17 years. And oh wow! unfortunately, something happened, but... Uh, out of the job now and it's just uh, living off the savings that I had occurred for 17 years and just pushing yeah. forward, getting projects off the ground and really doing what I love. It, 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 there's, some, there's a testament to it, you know, and sometimes it's, um, it's a harder road to follow. It's, it's definitely much braver, you know, I mean, it, it's, I don't, I would never, you know, I mean, I, there's something to be said about having sort of, um, something comfortable going to work every day and having that security. And I understand that because there are times that I'm, I have to struggle to find work, Right. but I've been doing this long enough now that I have enough contacts, but you know, there is that sort of concern like, Oh no, I'm not working for the next two weeks. Like, but in those two weeks that I'm not working, 
I, I just reach out to people and let them know I'm available. And then I also, that's when I start creating my own stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and so sometimes having that downtime, mm -hmm. you have to be productive. Exactly. Right. Uh, I don't think there is any downtime, especially for content creators, because there's always something to do. If it's not podcasting, you're networking. It's not networking, you're writing. There's always something to do. It's true. And, no, it's true. I attend <clears throat> uh, events constantly. Now, because I mostly, I mostly do horror. I don't specifically do horror, but I mostly do horror. I attend a lot of horror conventions, screenings, um, and just uh, stuff all the time because I, I see old friends. So it's like I'm always going to events just to remind people that I'm out there. Um, and that's what's so great about something like, so I just did Soundbite, but we used Soundbite. Soundbite was sort of released for two specific things. Mm -hmm. Soundbite was made because we want to make a, a feature version of it. That's why the, the, the short is so small. It's like a teaser, right? Mm -hmm. But then also we use it because we wanted to launch this horror channel, Horror House. And what's so great is like now I can go to events and be like, I create content just like you. Here's what I have. Right. And then, you know, we can also collaborate with other people to create um, really just awesome sort of short films because, you know, they're easy to make. It's a nice calling card. Um, and what I love about Horror House, which um, because we're still growing, is we want to really um, promote diversity both in front and behind the camera. Right. You know, right. So, right. like, me and my writing partner, we're both gay. Um, our producer is black. We had a trans man on set who was helping us. I mean, it's just like, we really want to be encompassing. We want to show that in front of the camera, we want to be inclusive behind the camera. And I think that's very important. Absolutely. I agree well, with I you 100% there once again. And, and that's one aspect, especially for the horror genre, that we yeah. are such a great community and it's about showcasing the multiple diverse levels, di diversity. Yeah. different cultures involved and not saying that mainstream doesn't do it but they're slow into getting that into the forefront and it's up to us as indie content yeah. creators to really push that out there well you know i think it's what's so interesting about the horror um community specifically is um i know that i could test this to my cousin when he was growing up because he's such a um a huge horror fan so he always wears horror t-shirts he's got like horror tattoos so i think a lot of people who love horror or or within the horror um community always probably grew up feeling a little more like ostracized or sort of like living mm. on the outskirts in a sense because right. you know people never understood who we were and i think that sort of sympathy and empathy comes forward in the community right so people have we, they feel inclusive anyways because it's the one community that's always accepted them for who they are Right, right. And that's you know, that's one think, genre that it's overlooked in Hollywood. Uh, I don't see many awards yeah. being given out in, at the Academy Awards or any other prestigious platform for horror cinema. <laughs> I know. I mean, it wasn't, I think it, was, it wasn't until, what was it, this year? Yeah, this year, right? When, like, Get Out won and um, The Shape of You. Is a, right. You know, like, we finally had, like, a, like a, a black lead actor in a horror movie that did mainstream that was directed and written by but i mean that's just like and and to us it's like wow we're finally there but why did why couldn't we be there all along like, uh, right, like, that's a great story right that, I that's exactly it, what i said black, so. <laughs> that's exactly what i said and that marketing I, I feel it's a marketing tool for mainstream hollywood 
when they put a label saying uh first african-american or first female yeah and i said to myself wait a second so that means throughout history that's the only female that picked up a camera that <laughs> that's just it's yeah, it's right? marketing it's marketing yeah but it's also frustrating it's like but i mean i'm glad that we're able to to, to feature people in these roles and I, I love it to and i talk about this even on my own podcast that i love at times where it's no longer about oh i, I need to hire you because you're a woman it's mm-hmm. just i want to hire you because you're perfect for the job right i like right. your visual style you know it just so it doesn't matter that i'm white or gay it doesn't matter that you know you're black or it just it should just be like bob gets the job because he's perfect for it or mm-hmm. jane gets the job because i love her vision like it has nothing you know what i'm saying right right so the- that but is, I, I feel like the doors are opening so that mm-hmm. people are more apt to want to be able to be more inclusive. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I'm hoping that there were, we're one of those people that are on that, um, they're on the forefront and one of those people that could be champions of that. Uh, pr- precisely. And that also applies when uh, you make a good point. If, some, if the female, uh, let's say, cinematographer has a good eye for lighting, of course, she's got to get the job. Yeah. But it also provides when you have that level of diversity in a project and you open the doors, as you just mentioned, yeah. you could have so many, even for someone who's just wanted to be on set to experience what it is to make a film, because that in itself yeah. is challenging how to create the film before it goes to the editing floor. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that's so true. But, you know, I, I feel like we're, I mean, we're, What's one good thing that I think about the digital age now is that, is that, you know, anybody could pick up a camera now and start finding ways to showcase their work. You know, Instagram's good for that, although there's filters, but you know what I'm saying? Like you at least have a platform to be like, look, I can take a nice picture. Look, I can do something that's, you know, it's like people never want to give me directing jobs because I'm such a really good script supervisor. I've been doing it for 12 years. So I was like, fine. Um, if I, if you, you won't bring me to you, I'll bring you to me. Like, I'll just start creating my own stuff. Right. So that way you can see that I'm out there. I created this YouTube channel to showcase myself as a director. We wanted to showcase, um, Brantley, my writing partner as a writer, you know, Ray wanted to showcase himself as a producer. Um, Nicholas Basil, who's our editor, who's phenomenal, wants to showcase himself as an editor. We're all trying to grow within our field. So why not just create something that gives us that? Absolutely. And the tools are out there. And in every podcast, I, I always mention Facebook has Facebook Live, Instagram has Instagram Live, YouTube, of course. And there's so many opportunity for for those in the performing arts who wants to jump into it. We have mobile devices that shoot yeah. great video. So th- there is no excuse. It's just just well, jump and, in there. And- I'm sorry to cut you off. It's not even that they that they just shoot mm-hmm. great videos. It's that they also display. Like nowadays, you know, everything. Our phones are, you know, um, such high quality res. So mm-hmm. you can watch really good quality re- videos on your phone. Right. You know what I'm saying? Which is yeah. also nice. So you're not just you know you're not just shooting great quality stuff and then watching it back poorly. No, you can cre- create great stuff and watch it back how it's meant to be watched. <laughs> Absolutely, and yeah. listen to you know. Yeah, I mean, not that I want to take away the theater experience, but you know, sound bites four and a half minutes, and I think it's enjoyable enough that for four and a half minutes, if you're just sitting on the train or you know you're stuck somewhere, you have something to do. <laughs> yeah, especially and if you're in New York, quality, you know? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> oh, so let's jump into sound bite. Um, interesting oh, concept, fascinating. We just uh, released our review of this short film. 
And one of the aspects yeah, that, that really jumps out on me is it, it has a teaser of uh, appeal. We don't know much about the character or the external yeah. conflict. A little bit about that. Well, so like I, I mentioned earlier, like we want to do a feature of Soundbite, but Soundbite, because it only has one actress and there's not any dialogue, it was like, let's just let's shoot this one first to show that we know how to make a movie mm -hmm. right um so it, it was a te it's a teaser for a feature that brantley and i are writing and we want to make but it was also a good way to sort of launch horror house to be like look i can i can get most people to invest in four and a half minutes to show that we could do something right and the reviews of soundbite are good people are always like we want to know more mm -hmm. and they're perfect because we have all this story over here that'll tell you more so I'm hoping to use the sort of the buzz from Soundbite to help us get the um, the attention and, and financing for Soundbite. But I'm also using it as a way to get Whorehouse because we have like tons of scripts we're getting ready to shoot, you know, and we want to keep shooting them. Like I said, we want to bring on people. So Soundbite was sort of like a, a good launching pad for us, for, for both, you know. Uh, okay. And it's just short enough. Like I said, it's one woman sitting in front of a computer. And how we got the idea was, is Bradley and I were talking about um, what we wanted to shoot for our next project. And we talked a lot about social media, mm -hmm. right? And, and how social media influences a lot of people. And then I said, hey, remember that movie, The Ring? How mm -hmm. there was this video that um, gets released and it, when people watch it, they die, right? That was the whole point of The Ring. Right. So I said, what if like, that was something that was done through social media. Like it wasn't just a video, it was a song. And so we started exploring like what would happen if people would listen to this song. So we created the song, this, there's, a, there's not just soundbite, there's a song too called Death Song. We actually have it uploaded. Um, it's, I wanna say it's about a minute long. And the idea is what would happen if people would listen to this song? Like people would listen, uh, watch the video in the ring, mm -hmm. right? So that's the whole concept of it. There, there's a song called Death Song and Death Song is really, the idea of death song is you listen to this murder, right? Mm. Kind of like what you do in the ring. In the ring, you watch someone go get murdered. I mean, whatever. So it, that was like the concept. So we just wanted to explore the audio sort of idea of like what would happen if a song got released, you know, in, in sort of like social. So we're trying to explore that. That's kind of what the whole point of Soundbite was. Uh, that's an interesting concept. And it's, it's yeah. a platform right now where social media is being used as part of the script as a catalyst for something terrifying because even if everybody yeah. is on the internet there's always that fear that dark web that looming terror that's lurking in the unknown yeah it's it's there and it's like you you it's and it's there like lurking and t tempting you to get to and you're like no i don't want to do it but you know, it's like sometimes, like, like the whole point of this is like, what if you do stumble upon it? Mm -hmm. You know, or, uh, or you know, if someone sends it in an email and you're like, what is this thing? You click on it and the song plays and it's like, you like, what the fuck? You know, <laughs> so it, that's what was the whole point of it. Right. Is, and people, it's, the reviews and stuff we're getting are very interesting about how people are like, it's very interesting in the social media age, how it's so easy to just send something like that. Uh, right, right. And not only that, these hashtag um viral challenges that always going around and sometimes i pop when i watch tv which is rare 
I see there is a challenge yeah. for teenagers that they're doing something idiotic. Like, why are you doing it? Why are you sniffing? I don't know soap products. I don't know what what the case may be, but it's true. And no, people it's true. actually do it. And then I guess you think about like, God, our, the older generation looked at us at the dumb things we did, but it's true. It's like, I don't know. I guess there's every generation has their thing, but <laughs> social media is, you know, it, it's like we grew up in an age where I used to spend hours on the phone talking and I used to write letters. And now it's like people don't text. Most people, even my, my nephews only message me through social media because that's just how they live their life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and it's just a strange thing. It's like I feel like texting is so easy, but most people have to message through Instagram or Twitter. It's like we just live in sort of that sort of world. They're like, "Oh, just snap me." <laughs> what? Like it's a strange thing, right? But it, yeah. that's just how they live. It's like they don't understand that, like a letter and you can mail it. Like that's so slow. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, but then they do. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a, so we want to explore that, right? Uh, what can I say? I I prefer texting. I don't even pick up the phone when someone calls me anymore. Like, Why are you calling me? Text me. <laughs> yeah, well, I spend like, like it seems like I, I spend like 85% of my life on set. So it's so hard to, um, to be on the phone. I mean, I do. Yeah, you have to do it for work. But um, yeah, I spend a lot of my time just texting because I can. You know, I have a smartwatch. Half the time I can respond just from my watch. Yeah, that's, that's another on thing. On my way to set, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's the world we live in. Uh, I, I think so I want one. Explore that. <laughs> I want one of those for Christmas. Uh, it, oh, for okay, some... there you go. It's a, they're nice <laughs> to have. They're very nice to have. Right. It's uh, like you're constantly attached to your phone, but you don't have, to have your phone constantly on you. If that makes uh, any sense. Uh, for the for those in listening that are young, as such as you and I, uh, we will look like Dick Tracy. <laughs> I know it, but you know what's so funny is I've had one for a, for a few years now, like maybe five years. I like I jumped on that bandwagon early, and people used to laugh at me until, for some reason, then the iWatch came out. And everybody's like, "Oh my god, this thing's amazing!" Right? Yeah, it was amazing five years ago when I had it, but now that you know, it hits sort of like a commercial mainstream market. I, everybody has a smartwatch now, <laughs> especially the Apple one. It's crazy. Yeah, and, it, you know, and now they have hybrid ones, so they look like watches, but they can still get notifications. Right. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, but they're they're a lot of fun. I, I I say just do it. I mean, you know, just have one. And if you don't like it, at least you tried it. Uh, precisely, of course, that goes across the board with anything new in technology. Yeah, well, I, I'm kind of, I kind of like I don't collect a lot of things. I just happen to like technology. I don't know why. <laughs> I feel like I like to justify it because I use it for work. Uh, right, you could write it off, especially. <laughs> you could write it off as an expense. <laughs> To an extent, yeah. I mean, for the majority, I work from home, so a lot of my, um, like, I have a computer that I can that has 4G. I have a, a phone. I'm always like, because I'm a writer and I'm a filmmaker, so a lot of the times I'm on the road, I can still run my business. Precisely. In that sense. And, you know, I can write anywhere. Oh, right, right. Especially on yeah. a mobile device, right? Uh, uh, speaking oh, yeah, about writing, uh, for, for those listening, uh, soundbite is four minutes which equals to four pages of a script so i'm assuming uh there has to have been challenges and condensing such a storyline into four pages and creating that into film well we look at soundbite as like the opening to the movie Mm -hmm. right like it's an introduction to like whatever death that's the name of the, the song by the way is death song right um 
And if you go to like the Horror House um, YouTube page, you can hear the actual like song that plays. We have a whole soundbite challenge. Like, are you brave enough to listen? Because uh, it is a very creepy song. Um, our editor and sound designer, Nico, uh, his name is Nicholas Basil, but I call him Nico. He um, designed the song that I had to listen to it on set one day. I was filming. He goes, what do you think of the song? And I listened to it. And I was like, dude, this is so creepy. <laughs> but it's not what we wanted. Okay. So it, it, you, you sort of have like these two tools now that can introduce you. And then like uh, a friend of mine watched Soundbite and he said it best. He goes, man, he goes, that's such a great little opening. He goes, I, I, I can see it like this movie, like this four minutes opening the movie. And then it's like five years later, we need a whole new cast. And I go, yeah, that's sort of like how it would be in a sense. Okay. Not saying that that's how we're doing the movie, but you know, it's kind of like you get introduced to something and then you're like, what the hell am I watching? And then you find out, you know, so that's what we want to sound like to me. It's a little teaser and it's just complete enough, complete enough that it could stand on its own for the most part. Because people are like, wow, what did I just watch? So like that song is creepy. And why that girl listened to it? You know, it's just enough. I think it's a little more so that's what we wanted it to be. Mm. Does that make sense? Right. right. And I'm assuming the that we were condensing. It was like, Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I was about to say, I'm assuming... Oh, so wasn't that we were... <laughs> we, co- we crashed again. I'm sorry. I just get so excited. So just tell me to be quiet. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming the, the, um, the premise of the film would be supernatural, correct? Most, yeah, mostly. Of course. I mean, I'm big on ghost stories. They're my favorite. They really are. I love um, psychological thrillers and ghost stories. Those are my favorite. Um, Brantley, the other writer, is really big on like slasher films, especially from the eighties. So we both have a very certain. The good thing about writing Brant- with Brantley is we both have different voices, but they're so similar in a lot of ways that writing with him is like the it's like the easiest thing, and I love that because I think what our what we have is very rare in that sense. Like, mm-hmm. like I'll read like we'll write because um we don't write with each other. He lives in Bakersfield right now and I'm here in LA. And so we do a lot of it like via the phone or just writing scripts back and forth. And he'll write like, a, like he was like, I'm just going to tackle like the next five pages. Cause I have an idea. Right. I said, okay, go do it. And he'll go, he'll go write those five pages and I'll read it. And I'll be like, that's exactly what I would have done. Like mm-hmm. as I'm reading, it, I'm like, he should definitely go outside right now. Oh, there he's going outside. Like, it's so strange how we're very similar in our styles. Okay. Um, in fact, our agent says talking to us on the phone is like we almost sound the same. We both are very fast talkers. We're just very passionate and animated. So That's good. That's I said, yeah, you should see us together. It's like no one gets a word in at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's but great. We're just like overly passionate. It's crazy. Uh, especially when when you have a co-writer on a script, you have to have that chemistry. Uh, being a script writer, I I know where my areas of weakness is, which is dialogue. I tend to describe yeah. the setting pretty w- fascinating, but the dialogue I you know have too elaborate of a vocabulary. Not the everyday average person would have that vocabulary, and a co-writer course, would help yeah. me out in that area. Well, it was, it was just it was interesting. We both know each other's weaknesses and strengths. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really good with dialogue in a sense. I'm very poetic. I, I, I grew up being a, um, a performer. Like I said, I was a performer and a poet, and I mm-hmm. used to do a lot of spoken word. So a lot of my dialogue is strangely poetic. So sometimes I get a little too poetic, and mm-hmm. then, like, Brantley would have to come in and kind of, like, <laughs> make it a little more colloquial. Right, and then exactly. He, right. Like, there's certain things that he's really good at. 
on the certain things that I'm good at. And so sometimes we'll look at a scene and I'll be like, where do you think we should go with the scene? And he's like, I really feel like this is where we would go. And I was like, man, you're really kind of good at that. So why don't you tackle that? It's like, and then so he'll write it and then I'll come along behind and kind of just clean it up and vice versa. We just, it's, we're checks and balances. It just okay. works. People ask me how, I don't know. It just works. <laughs> Yeah, that's, we that's very great. very little few disagreements. Uh, that is fascinating, and it's especially when when filmmakers are starting out, they have their script, and they're hesitant you know, to have a co-writer or someone to help. It's always important to have that extra help, uh, an extra pair of eyes oh, yeah, to just go over incredible. everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, for soundbite, how long was the production to get this short complete? You know what's interesting is we shot it in a day. Mm. I, we actually probably shot it in like nine hours if I want to. The, the good thing is, is um, because I've, I've been filming for so long, I always prep everything. I do a script breakdown. I create a shot list. So I go into every beat knowing exactly what I need. Mm -hmm. I, I always tell people that um, that's the thing with like with me being a script advisor first is that I understand how a movie is meant to be cut and made because that's my job. My job is to make sure that a movie can cut in post-production. Okay. So I kind of already know that. And since I, I, since I do extensive script breakdowns for a living, I just break them. I just know in my head exactly what we need. So being on set, I, and I'm such a huge collaborator. So it was extremely easy to make in that sense. I mean, it wasn't easy. Like, I mean, I don't want people to think of but I didn't just like run into it. We actually were going to shoot it and then we pushed it back three weeks because I just wanted to make sure we were prepared. Okay. Right. <clears throat> because, and then we, um, just, we found an apartment that worked. It was the producer's cousin. Uh, it looked like a dorm. It was like a one, it's like a, um, it's a studio apartment in Hollywood. Right. I was mm -hmm. like, it looked like, like a dorm. And we just got a slider and we used the red camera and we just, put it on the slider and we kind of just try to find ways to make it feel I wanted to spread it out in a sense because could I made it a little bit longer intentional because the script I think comes out at like two little over two pages right because it's such a it's a teaser right but but I wanted to spread it out in in post a little bit just to because I wanted to really extend that creep factor so like I told Taylor the the girl I said just be Basically, our term, our term was she was just a basic white bitch. I could just walk <laughs> in and do text, you know, just do stuff. And that was what she did. She was just living her life. And then she stumbled upon this website and found, you know what I'm saying? So that was, we just extended all that to make it feel like we we're just watching this girl. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So, um, and then we just shot, we'll sit there and I, I um, like to do wides just to give you where we are. And then we just kind of did some medium so you can see everything. And then we just got really close to make it uncomfortable. Right, right, right. Yeah, and that's that's yeah. something that I noted in 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 my review. The the ambience is built gradually with the different camera angles. You can really feel mm -hmm. that tension that something's gonna happen to this girl. Uh, giving you you providing the shot uh in her room a close up. Once that close up shot went to her face, I knew uh oh, okay something's gonna happen with her something in particular. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know what's so interesting is I used I used Doug. Doug is a great DP. I worked with him probably a month prior. I was um, hired by the school to teach a script revising class. And then they brought me back to direct one of the shorts and they hired Doug to do the short. And Doug and I just like gelled just like Brantley and I did. And what I liked about Doug is 
Doug is very patient with me. I'll be like, Doug, this is the shot I want. And he'll be like, I don't think that'll work. Mm. And I was like, okay. And then he'll be like, but look, and he'll actually show me the shot just to prove that it won't work. <laughs> oh, I'm like, okay, you're right. So then he'll look at it and be like, I know what you want. This is the shot you're, you're looking at. Do you feel like it works? And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. Like, mm-hmm. So we'll adjust it together. And he's like, what if like, instead of we, we, we padding left here, we sort of like dolly left. And you know, it's like, he kind of, he takes one my shot and we can adjust it. And they, and I like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, because he's the guy that's helped create the visual, right? Right. To make sure that I get the shots and that I need. And so he, I love working with him like that. I love DPs that are like that. I don't like when they take over. I like when they, when they want to be collaborative. Absolutely. Right. (laughs) And I will tell you, um, then I hired my friend, uh, I call him Nico, but like I said, his name is Nicholas. Um, he cuts trailers for a living. And then I was like, Nico, I need you to cut this movie. Uh, it's a little, cause he's like, is it a teaser? And I was like, yeah, it's a teaser, but it's also going to be like a standalone movie because we want to use it to launch horror house. And he's just like, I'm just going to do the sound design too. And I was like, all right. Cause he loves doing sound design. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. Right. I just knew him as an editor. And then he started editing it and showing it to me. And I was like, Nico, like the sound design, because I, you have to understand there was no dialogue. So we right. had no sound guy on set at all. So there was no ambient sound. There was nothing. And Nico sound designed that whole movie from scratch. Mm-hmm. And you would have never known we didn't have a sound guy. Oh, yeah. I think it's one of the most impressive stories about soundbite that we had. We only didn't have a sound guy because I knew we didn't need that much sound. The movie was written to not be. Because I didn't want people to hear what songs she was listening to first because I wanted it to remain a mystery. Right. It, just just to, until we got the movie and then the song came out so dang amazing that i was like now we have to release the song <laughs> <It's so crazy. laughs> and yeah the, so that I, one of the, the true testaments that i think about soundbite is i didn't try to make something big we just wanted to make something small and sort of intimate to show mm-hmm. people what we could do right right and that that, that is a a safe play and also as you say it's a great calling card and one thing about soundbite is the fact that you made it a short, a short, short actually is four minutes long. And that really, co- yeah. it, it accommodates our, the era that we're living in. Everyone has short attention spans. We want th- something quick yeah. right away. And this fits right into that time frame. Well, I will, I'm not, I'm, I would love to do a feature. It's, it's never that. It's just, I know in this go, 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 go world. And you know, mm-hmm. big production companies are hit constantly with like scripts and movies and stuff. It's so easy to come up to somebody and be like, can you just give me four minutes, four and a half minutes? And right. all they have to do is watch the first 30 seconds and then they're hooked. Right. Like, oh, oh, I want to finish it. And then you already know it's, you know, I'm not asking you to watch a 20 minute short. I'm going to ask you to give me 30. It's literally four and a half minutes. I just need you to give me four minutes, four and a half minutes every time. And most people are willing to do that, which is kind of nice, you know, that be able to just like give them. A, and that's why it's like people are like, it's too short. It is too short because it's not meant to be long-term it's meant to be a small section of something bigger mm-hmm. right 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 but at least in this particular four minutes you see this one girl go through something and you're like oh and now you're kind of hooked in that sense so that's why i like it's like it's just enough where you're like you feel like you watch something in its entirety but you'd also like kind of need a little bit more mm-hmm. uh, and that was that's, that's the whole point of it right that that's that's in one area where filmmakers have to have that mindset as an entrepreneur because 
they're not only creating film art, they're creating film product. And what you just mentioned, when you got to deliver a pitch to a potential investor, all you have to do is show the film instead of delivering a long, exhausted pitch, which I'm sure they hear hundreds of that in a day's uh, of work. Exactly. Right. It works out. That's absolutely fascinating. And I'm fascinated with, with Taylor's performance. No dialogue. Her body expression is, yeah, says no, no, no. everything. You know, I, was, I, I tell the story to everybody. I was actually very nervous because I knew her. She did a reading of um, a script that my writing partner did. And he's like, we should use um, Taylor. She's fantastic. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I, I was actually kind of nervous to approach her because I was like, she's an actress. There's no dialogue. Mm-hmm. You know, and some actors are like, I don't have any dialogue. I'm just an extra. So, you know, I didn't want to approach her with like, hey, we're doing this project. By the way, there's no dialogue. Will you come, you know, listen to this creepy song? And Brantley <laughs> was just like, why don't you just send her the script? And right. I said, okay, I, I could do that. That's fine. So I, t- I said, look, we're interested in, in this project. I think you'd be perfect for it. Can you give me your thoughts? And she responded back and goes, this is epic. When do we start filming? And I was like, okay, that's all I needed. But little did I know that, like, not having, I mean, I understand the power of, like, just the expression of, like, how people are because I make movies. But to be able to, like, not say anything on camera for a long time and still be able to sell something is hard. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Right. And Because we live in such a talky world. But, right, right, you're right. Uh, for scripts that the character, especially the protagonist, that doesn't have a dialogue, for me, when I was watching a film... Uh-huh. From a writer's perspective, I was saying to myself, okay, she doesn't have a voice. So is she really the protagonist or is it the external conflict, which is the song that is the the lead in this film? Well, I will tell you, it's funny to say that because I really wanted, I really wanted the song to be its own character. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why originally we weren't going to play it because we wanted to show, we wanted to live in this world where this girl was watching the sing and you wanted, it was almost kind of like secretive. But then when we went into post-production and Nico was sound designing it, it became its own character, which is really needed to be all along. Right. You know? So yeah. So like I said, we, we posted the sound online, um, the song it's available, you can listen to it, but it is, it was its own character. Um, so technically, yeah, there's technically two characters in, in, in soundbite it's the girl taylor and then the song death song mm. Mm. and clearly death song wins <laughs> <laughs> right exactly right interesting choice in putting soundbite on youtube instead of going to the film festival uh circulation because i'm i i know that once you once it's in the public you it doesn't qualify for being in film festivals because it shouldn't it should be only for that particular circulation. Well, there are some, we could put it in some film festivals. My mm. manager and I are talking about that. Um, the only thing is we, we run the risk of, we won't be able to ever have it like as a premiere. Okay. Which is, which is okay. I mean, the, the ideas I wanted, in, it'd be nice to be in some festivals just so people, it can hit an audience. But our idea of putting it on YouTube was we wanted to create our, our own platform in a sense of this is the work that, Michael Colomb directs. This is the work that Brantley writes. This, that you know, Ray McCann produces, and you know, everybody, Doug shoots, Nico edits. So like, we have our own little thing. So we actually had no idea that Soundbite would do so well. So it, it was never really intended to be part of 
of film festival. It was just meant to literally strictly be, we wanted to use the social media platform to show the movie. So we wanted to have the, the subscribers, the view count and the, mm-hmm. and the reviews to show investors and, and actors and people that like, Hey, we have a product that people want to see. Mm. Uh, it's quite fascinating uh, yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah. approach right there. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be smart about it. And I, but it, I have this strange thing of like, I, I feel like I owe it to the people involved in the project who believe in me to, mm-hmm. to make the project the best that it could be. Right. So that's why it's like, I, I work tirelessly to make sure that it gets looked at, reviewed. And because I feel like people are believing in me. Right. right, right. Got my name on it. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I mean, no one's going to work harder for me than me. And I'm lucky enough to finally have a team now that works just as hard, mm. you know? Right. But, uh, um, but I think because of that, I was able to create a good product and, and we're getting in front of good people. And I'm happy about that because that's what the whole point of creating horror house was, is to create an awesome channel with awesome horror that people who love horror will watch. And I don't expect everybody to like every single movie because, you know, we're, we might have a zombie movie, We'll probably have a ghost, you know, you know, not everybody likes every aspect of horror. Right. But we want to create a channel that, that promotes, uh, diversity, like I said, within both behind the camera and front and that hits that everybody can enjoy. It's just going to be a fun, fun channel. I'm looking forward to, to future installment. And and with that said, uh, final two questions. Uh, this next question is more of an inspirational piece. Uh, we've covered so many topics in our interview. But for those filmmakers, especially utilizing social media to get their name out, to create content, what advices do you have through your experience? Well, I'm a little bit older, so I'm probably the worst when it comes to social media. And I'm lucky enough to um, work on set. So I'm around a lot of younger people. So I kind of, plus I work with a lot of social media influencers and I sort of just watch them. Mm-hmm. One of the things I know is you have to constantly keep creating. Right. Um, and that'll be one of the challenges of Horror House is we're trying to create original content. So sometimes it, it doesn't always, we can't post every week. Not yet. But we also are trying to post other things. We're trying to do interviews. We do like little promo videos. So we just always want to give them something. So that's one of the advice that I would give is just, just make sure you, you watch, uh, just make sure that you create, even if it's like I said, four minutes, three minutes, just create stuff. You, always, you want to show people your voice. Right. And I meet a lot of people who are coming out here and it's like, well, I live in like the Midwest. How can I do it? I said, social media is such a great platform. I mean, I meet young people who have like 10,000, 20,000 followers you know, on Instagram and all they're doing is posting pictures of themselves being a model. So the platform is there. You just got to you just got to start hashtagging. You got to start um, tagging people. You have to go uh, to other pages and, and comment and stuff. You just got to find ways to bring people to your to who you are. Absolutely. So, like, even though even though I'm a filmmaker and and I'm a podcaster, Michael Colom is my brand. So I always have to make sure that like my brand is out there, you know. Right, right. Does and, that make sense? In a sense, it's like yeah, it's perfect. But I want that sense. brand to be good. I want people to realize, oh my god, this Michael Colom. He's he's a writer. He's a he's a script revisor. He he he's also a singer. He's a podcaster. He does horror house. Like that's so great. Like, who is Michael Colom? So when I tell people about social media, it's like you just. And a lot of it's connected now. If you post on, you know, if you post on Instagram, you can also tag yourself on Twitter and Facebook, all this, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. So you just got to keep creating. And that's, mm-hmm. if that means you got to do a vlog one day, just be like, hey, you know, like I, with, with my, my podcast, sometimes I just have to 
just record something and be like, I'm thinking about you guys today. This is how my day has been. Does that make sense? Right, right. It, it okay, makes I'm trying to make sense. that make sense because it's, it, social media is one of those. I'm not the best on it, but I definitely do Insta stories, definitely do Facebook stories, a lot of that stuff. You just got to keep creating. Right. And that's my advice. <laughs> yeah. With that, you, you make an interesting point. Uh, once you're trying to build your name, your name is not a name. You are a brand and you have to uh, put yeah. your content out there, put your name out there as a brand because, as you had mentioned, all the content, they're going to be looking at your name, where you're from, what yeah. you do, and is always have to be careful. Think twice before you post. Yeah. You're thinking you're taking a picture of something that you may seem innocent, but it could affect your brand. That's, yeah. that's another negative. Uh, but too many positives, it overshadows yeah. negative. Well, I mean, that's why I think it, there's nothing wrong with just, I try to be, even with my podcast, even though the, po the podcast is mostly with Michael, I always try to find a way to make it sort of inspirational because I love, like what you're doing with me, I love hearing people's stories. Like, how did you get started? Like, what made you go down this road? Why do you want to become a model? Why do you want to become a singer? Why do you become an astronaut? You know, mm -hmm. and if, I, as long as you really focus on, I think, helping people and trying to, focus on their lives you always have a good brand yeah it, i mean even though i make i don't i mean even though i mostly make horror movies and mm -hmm. I, I did a movie about this evil song it's like i the end goal is who who don't have a voice have a voice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. does that make sense oh absolutely yeah. that, that's, that's why yeah, i always begin our the interview with an origin story who is the director who is the writer what what is it about you that led you up to create this project I'd love for you to have some of, of these people from Horror House on your show. I think that you would find them fascinating. Like I said, we, we're very, 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 um, like my writing partner, Brantley, moved out here with his husband from Tennessee just because he wanted to be a horror writer. We were connected through a friend of ours, mm -hmm. um, a mutual friend. And then, you know, like I said, Ray McCann, um, uh, he's um, this black guy who's trying to be a producer and he wants to promote diversity. So, I mean, like I said, like just the people involved in Horror House alone, um, inspire me. I find them so fascinating, and we all we all came collected together collectively to just create one small thing. It just happens to be horror. Right. Oh, I'll take I'll take your oh, well, after the podcast. I'm going to edit this out. I'll take we discuss that a little bit further. Uh, to close okay. out the interview, open platform, yeah. plug in, soundbite, anything else, upcoming projects that you can share, and also your social media handles. Oh, okay. So, um, you, all you have to do is search horror house media. Um, horror house media is kind of long. So if you, if you do horror house without the E at the end, so it's like horror house media, um, you'll find us. We're on Pinterest, Tumblr. I mean, if you can't find us, you're not looking at hard. All you do is go to michaelcolomb.com. Literally everything is on my podcast. I, on that website, Michael Colomb is there. Uh, but most is with C O U L O M B E. It's French, so it's a little. So. But yeah, um, please check out Horror House Media. We're we're going into production in our next short, which is going to be called Grandma's Cookies. <laughs> um, and then we have a couple of ideas. I, there's a, a film I want to shoot probably early next year. Um, Nico likes to shoot a lot on black and white, so I want to do something I've never shot on black and white. I'd love to to shoot something black and white. And I watch a lot of Hitchcock, and I, it's just something about that. So I'd love to, you know, 
explore that. And uh, yeah, and Brantley and I wrote us our we wrote our first script together called Delapisro Road. I have one I wrote called Axe, and he has one that he wrote called Chuckles. So that's kind of like where the team is at right now. We have a lot going on. Oh, that's great. That's great to hear. Oh. There's more than that that I can't. <laughs> I can't right. Talk about, you know, just go if you go to michaelcolum.com, it's all there, I promise. <laughs> right. I mean, okay. there's some projects that you can't share. We all understand that that area yeah. of prediction. But like I said, stay tuned and you'll you'll hear more, but um we'll we'll always create and you know, if people want to collaborate, please 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 hit us up. We're open to that at, at, at all. So I don't want people to think that we don't have egos. We just want to create awesome stuff. And that definitely is going to be the highlight of our of our interview segment, <laughs> collaboration. Oh, well, good. That's what I want. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Um, I love your magazine. I, I love the podcast. So thank you for letting me be part of both. Segment two, exclusive interviews, director, writer, Devin Gallagher, Zed Stye. Closing out our second segment is a conversational interview with filmmaker Devon Gallagher. Ms. Gallagher has a short film currently in film festival circulation titled Zed Stye. It is a comedy horror short which is getting rave reviews and has earned awards and nominations. It has won the Indie Spirit Award at the 2018 Women in Horror Film Festival and it was the official selection of Women in Horror's Month Axe Wound Film Festival. Devon Gallagher is she is an award-winning filmmaker and actor based here in Brooklyn, New York. She's a graduate of the William Esper Studio and she has appeared on television, film, and on stage in New York City. Miss Gallagher is best known for her writing, directing, producing, and she also stars in the comedic horror film Zed Stye. In our conversational interview, we'll be discussing her short film Zed Stye, Zombies, and of course the rapid change in brooklyn which is just a th stone throws away from our office here at dk mag where we are in the bronx it's just a train right away into brooklyn without further ado here is my interview with devon gallagher for this interview and also uh, for this interview opportunity discussing your latest film well here we go zed z style <laughs> zed style yeah zed style that's right and thanks for having me you're welcome uh let's kick off the interview our conversational interview with a bit of an origin story uh some information about your career in acting, directing, leading up to your latest project? Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, how far back do you want me to go? Um, so, uh, you know, I'm an actor and a filmmaker. I'm based in Brooklyn. I graduated from the William Esper Studio, which is an actor studio in New York. 
Uh, I wrote, directed, produced, and starred in my debut short film, Zed Sai, which screened last month at the Axwin Film Festival and the previous month, as you know, at the Women in Horror Film Festival, uh, where it also took home the Indie Spirit Award. Um, Do you really want me to go all the way back? Because I can. (laughs) (laughs) How far back? (laughs) (laughs) That's a good Um, introduction right there. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it a shot. I mean, I'm I'm a new filmmaker, absolutely. But, uh, uh, you know, it's something I've been interested in since I was a kid. Um, I was like a super shy kid. And so when I'd have to do a project with a presentation, my mom came up with this idea of making a film instead. Uh, and I think my first one was in like third grade and it was a penguin documentary. So we went to, uh, well, sort of this like zoo place. It wasn't really a zoo, but they had penguins and we filmed penguins and I narrated it all in voiceover. And this strategy to just like avoid public speaking kind of just continued. Um, when I was 10, we did an Area 51 sound footage slash like mockumentary that was basically just X-Files meets Blair Witch. Uh, and we did the whole thing on, you know, my family camcorder and my mom somehow edited it all together using our VCR. I have no idea how she did it. Uh, But I think around the same time, like I started realizing that I really loved horror films. And I guess because of this interest and these early projects, um, it just seemed kind of normal to be out in my backyard with a camcorder trying to make a film with my friends. But I think like, you know, then as I grew up, that kind of fell off. Uh, Other things took over as they do. Um, And I didn't really get back into filmmaking until after I uh, finished at uh, the Esper studio. Um, after I finished, you know, studying acting full time, I started working with different directors uh, who are, you know, you're early in your career. So they're all at various stages in their careers as well. Um, and many of them were very new to filmmaking. And at a certain point, I think I just realized that really, especially a lot of the men who I'd been working with, um, who, you know, were brand new filmmakers or were getting a lot of attention and even solid financial backing. Like a lot of them had no idea what they were doing. And that isn't at all a criticism. Clearly, you know, we all have to start somewhere. That honestly really includes me as well. Um, But just seeing them like really believe in their ideas and be totally unafraid to take risks and realizing that they didn't actually have any, you know, secret. There wasn't something that they knew that I didn't, if that makes any sense. It kind of just clicked like, oh, I can make films too. Like I can just go for this. I don't have to wait for permission or for, you know, to reach some specific achievement to be able to make the films I want to make. I can just kind of go for it. And so I think that realization was really a catalyst for finally taking the plunge uh, to create Zed Sci. Mm-hmm. Hopefully that covered everything. <laughs> yeah, that covered, that was much more in-depth, yes. Uh, it's, it's fascinating, uh, your origin stories. Not the first time I've heard uh, guests on our podcast who really find an interest or find a solution uh, for their craft. In your case, it was a fear of speaking in public. And that led to where you are right now in your film career as an actress, writer, and director. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, obviously, I had to get over a lot of that for acting. But I think with acting, it's a lot different because I'm not being me. Uh, And so for whatever reason, I don't really... I, I'm just not as afraid, I guess. It's more of like an excitement. Um, you really get lost in it. It's more just when I have to be me, you know, like this, for example, this interview right now. <laughs> oh. Right, right. I, I totally get that. And with, with acting, curiosity, 
what were some of the tips mm-hmm. that you've learned and then you delved into once you began the training and assuming different portraits uh, for whatever the project may be? Um, oh, wow. That's a big question. So there's a lot. Um, I, I'm a miser trained acting or actor, so I can really get into all the different, um, you know, facets of the technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I personally, I guess I find myself, I mean, I think every character you play is a character. So like, you know, when people say I'm a character actor, I think that's almost true for everybody, but you know, a lot of times you end up just playing yourself. That does happen a lot. I feel like in Zed side, I, it was pretty straight for me. I was essentially, you know, another version of myself. Again, that's kind of true all the time, even when you're going into characters. But for me, yeah, like I really love getting lost in a character that's a lot different than I am. And I guess finding those pieces of myself in that person and and just using them to create the character. But then, you know, also getting to kind of like really highlight those differences. And like, I think that that combination and like is what... I guess allows at least for me to get really lost in it, if that makes sense. Because mm-hmm. you know, the further away it is from yourself, the there's just like less fear, I guess, wrapped up in it. Mm, that's quite fair. You can th- just play. Yeah, that's one. That's one aspect that I always uh, tip my hat off because it's vo- doing voiceovers is one thing because you could you, nobody sees you. You're talking in a mic, and most times there's an animated character or video game. But for acting. All eyes are on you, and in some cases, especially with B-movie, uh, as an example, you can tell when the actor is reciting off the page and not delivering that emotional content that the line deserves. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, well, with that, I mean, that just comes with training, honestly, with technique, um, you know, knowing how to take text off a page and really turn that into a fully fleshed out character. Um, you know, you, you start with the text, but really so much of it is about the other actors you're working with and and you know really just working on and responding to them right absolutely i always keep an eye out for that even if it's a short film or full-length feature that on-screen chemistry between the two characters or even if it's a monologue the way you deliver those lines it says a lot about the character yeah definitely um, you know, what's in between the lines is really, I think, where a lot of the character lies, for sure. And now, Rather than just the words themselves. Uh, precisely, precisely. And we're going to jump into Zed Stai. Uh, wow. I, seen the, I, I was <laughs> laughing when I saw the screening at the Women in Horror Fest Festival. Uh, oh, not good. externally, <laughs> internally, because I relayed a question to you once the the film was over because i could relate because i've seen the transformation brooklyn went to from what it was back then to a, a hipster's paradise right now and you mm-hmm. portray it so well in the film um please some insights on the film and what led you to create this project okay yeah um just also in response to what you said thanks so much i'm glad you enjoyed it uh, that really means like the world to me. Um, <laughs> and, uh, no, it's funny cause I've had people come up to me and be like, you know, it's, it's, uh, satire, but it's not, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, you know what I mean? Like some of the things in there, I know like there's, you know, the part where the real estate agent is going off on this list of, of new amenities in the neighborhood. And some of them are actually very real things that exist. Like they sound like jokes, but they're real. Right. Um, and you know, 
we also get a lot of people who kind of think it is just like about, you know, hipsters and that's really what we're mocking. But obviously, as you know, it's more than that. It's about, you know, gentrification mm -hmm. um, and how that's affected communities in Brooklyn. Right. Uh, and um, I don't know. I don't know exactly where to start, I guess, with, I guess I could just talk a little bit about what the film is and then I, you know, those uh, themes that are underlying throughout the film. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. Okay, so, yeah. you know, yeah, uh, you know, for those who haven't seen it, that uh, is a zombie horror comedy short. It's super campy and it tells the story of a young woman from Bedside, Brooklyn, uh, having to face off with a new threat in her neighborhood. We see her team up with her two friends, one of whom I play, and we follow these three women as they fight zombies in the streets of streets of Brooklyn while, you know, trying to survive their journey home. Um, and yeah, I don't know if I should start with like, I guess how I came up with it or, or the idea behind it. Um, I guess I could just talk about what it stands for. Um, what, you know, what those kind of themes that are underlying the, the film and what, you know, really inspired it. Um, like I'm a huge, huge fan of horror, obviously. Right. Uh, and I especially just really love zombie films. Uh, you know, and from the very beginning, zombies are like, at least what we think of today as zombies, which, you know, started out with Romero's uh, Night of the Living Dead, um, existed to hold a mirror up to society and to ourselves. And so while zombies, you know, as like their own subgenre have taken various forms, the messaging usually comes back to the fact that we are in actuality the monsters. Uh, and that like sociopolitical commentary is, I guess, for me, an inextricable part of the genre. And I mean, I guess, Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, um, I mean, hopefully most people have because it's a great film and you've definitely had enough time. But, you know, in Night of the Living Dead, while the story's protagonist, Ben, who's, you know, a young black man, survives the zombies and makes it through the night, he's just unceremoniously killed off the following morning by this gun-toting, I guess, like, wannabe militia okay. uh, that shows up. And they, of course, just think this is all fun and games as they kind of, like, play out war. Um, and they never even noticed that they have just murdered and tossed aside a living person. And then, you know, with Dawn of the Dead, Romero was tackling issues of consumerism and capitalism. And so with Deadside, it really isn't anything new, I guess, in my opinion. Um, I'm basically just kind of playing in Romero's toy box, like utilizing this genre that he's defined. And, you know, so many others like Alice Garland and Robert Kirkman um, have kind of taken in their own direction. But the zombies in Deadside, again, like, as you know, are gentrifiers. So, and gentrification is really just a facet of consumerism and capitalism. Um, it's driven by income inequality and obviously coupled with systemic racism and classism. And so to me, it just felt like a natural direction to go in when I was trying to think about like what these Brooklyn zombies would stand for. And I do agree. Zombies have uh, symbolized and classified the various uh, political and social standings that we face and in, in in the current period and your film definitely stands by as i had mentioned before the transmogrification that brooklyn went through and it's it's a laughing point as well and also when the mm -hmm. film ends you, you begin to ponder especially as a resident of new york city say oh wow hmm that yeah it's, it's such a distinct parallel yeah, I mean, and, you know, like, yeah, obviously it is a comedy and we do get a lot of laughs um, and like we approach what is obviously a very serious, heavy subject with, you know, some humor and levity. 
But at the same time, I did, I think, want it to be clear that, you know, the dangers here are very real. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, like, while everyone can kind of point and laugh at the zombies and, you know, the hipsters, uh, you know, the final scene of the the film is purposely kind of solemn. um, Because, you know, gentrification isn't just about new residents and the transformation of a neighborhood. People are, you know, uprooted from their homes. Longstanding local businesses have to close down because of rising rent. People's lives are put in actually, like, very real danger. Um, you know, just, I guess, for example, like with gentrification comes, you know, uh, differences in how neighborhoods are policed. Or as I'm sure you know, I feel like we may have even spoken about this at the Women in Horror Film Festival, but, you know, you also get uh, like new, usually white people who are just completely misusing the police to kind of, uh, I mean, essentially attack people of color in their neighborhood, whether they realize that's what they're doing or not. Mm -hmm. I know we've all kind of seen some of those videos of like, you know, women uh i think there was like that woman at the bodega who just went off on some kid just uh, you know these horrible things that actually are putting it it's not actually a laughing matter you know while we do kind of poke fun at the situation because i think humor um much like horror is is really powerful and how if you can get people to laugh along with you a lot of times you know you can get them to kind of see something they may not have looked at it in a way they may not have looked at it before with with Brooklyn's transformation, the Bronx also is undergoing its own transformation, uh, particularly in the Yankee Stadium area, and it's still oh, yeah. going in that in that way. It hasn't had a dramatic change as Brooklyn has, but we are seeing some pop ups here and there. Uh, that certain area has been tidied and it looks very different. And you travel four blocks down. And you say it's like a totally different world. It's basically urban and well in the Yankee Stadium area. Everything is nice and polished. So it does uh, parallel what you were saying earlier about how different uh, uh, classes uh, uh, moving into a certain neighborhood and everything starts changing, probably for the worse. Mm -hmm. We're not sure. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the changes, like a lot of people think of gentrification and what they think of is, oh, we're going to get a Starbucks and, mm-hmm. you know, rent's going to go up a bit. But obviously, these changes aren't just aesthetic, you know, uh, neighborhoods become more hostile to people of color who have lived there, you know, often their entire lives. Right. Um, these people are also often for- completely forced out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, I think I wanted to make that clear in the film, like, you know, Norman, um, his business doesn't just close down, but he's actually killed by the zombie who took over his lease right that was a that was a that was a clever metaphor once i'd seen uh, that part of the film uh transpire i said to myself oh okay this is where we're going (laughs) yeah yeah i was you know it's it's like it's kind of hard when you're balancing kind of when you want to work in that humor but also balance it with you know tackling a, a very serious subject so I'm glad, I, I, I hope we, you know, kind of struck the right balance. Oh, yes, yes. And zombies are a perfect metaphor for any type of problems, uh, just as you had mentioned, and I definitely agree. Uh, it's sure, it, it, the zombie genre throughout the years, of course, it has its comedic effects and action, and some casual audiences would see this antagonizing force as, okay, we have survivors pitted against the living dead, uh, uh, some type of template. Here we go. They survive at the end. But there's an underlying core of what 
everything's going on on the film and it has symbolism. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, kind of before, it's just like, for me, that's really, I think, uh, a, an integral part of what makes, I guess, zombie films and I just, I guess, zombie television as well um, as a genre. Like, it, that social commentary is absolutely, I mean, I guess, at least for me, totally necessary. You kind of, you can't really separate the two. Absolutely. With uh, Zed's Die, I related a question at the Women in Horror Film Festival. Now, uh, re restate the question. Uh, was there any type of research, uh, people that you've spoken to in your neighborhood, in order to really get the the core of the sentiment behind this film? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, just in terms of, you know, research and my own background, uh, like I live in Bedside, so I'm kind of surrounded by this all the time. I, you know, follow a lot of local reporters and bloggers um, and advoc advocacy groups, uh, different like local news outlets. Um, you know, so I'm very aware of the conversations being had uh, with regard to gentrification, especially within my own neighborhood. Um, and I think, as I'm sure you know, you know, living in a gentrifying neighborhood, you can't help but kind of see how it affects communities and, and be aware of the issues that longtime residents are facing. You know, like I said before, like people are literally forced out of their homes and pressured into selling and even like driven out through illegal practices. Um, and in fact, actually, one of our actors, Norman Outlaw, who played Norman in the film, uh, he grew up just a few blocks away from where we were filming. And he was just kind of taken aback by how much had changed. Mm -hmm. So, um, but yeah, so when we were in pre-production, I mean, it seemed really clear that we should shoot within our own neighborhood and our own community. And so we did work with local businesses to make that happen. I actually have to give a huge shout out to Daddy Green's Pizza, by the way, uh, which is this just amazing pizza shop uh, that we were able to use throughout filming. Like I eat there all the time. And uh, <laughs> when we approached the owner, Rodney, he was so incredibly supportive and so kind to us. Um, and he let us use the shop for filming as well as just a home base to kind of warm up in while we were filming outside. So if you're in bedside, seriously, check out Daddy Green's. It's awesome. They have amazing pizza. Um, but also just to speak to how simple, like, you know, the step from gentrification to zombies kind of was when I first told uh, Rodney that we were shooting a zombie film in the neighborhood, his immediate response was, oh, are they gentrifiers? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, he just, he just called it instantly. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's phenomenal for filming. He's uh, very in interested in this aspect of the production. Uh, was it more of a, gorilla type filming or was it things that you planned because here in new york especially for indie filmmakers there's so many logistics and paperwork that needs to be filed especially when you have a large crew uh mm -hmm. behind the production yeah um it was very interesting so uh we so i guess just as a little background um the our the whole film was actually written um like, you know, we did pre-production shot and then finalized within the span of a month. Mm -hmm. uh, and so we actually had two filming days and um, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> it was really hectic, uh, but uh, sorry, I just totally lost my train of thought. I told, like I said, ADHD um, <laughs> legitimately. <laughs> it was entirely um, gorilla. Like I know, so in New York, you don't actually have to have a permit if you don't put sticks down. Mm -hmm. So as long as you're not using a tripod, 
um, you don't need a permit. Obviously, that changes with things like stunts and fights, which which we did have, um, but we kept them very minimal uh, just to try, you know, we kind of just went for it and hoped we didn't get in trouble. It was very gorilla, like I said. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, like we didn't, we didn't have get any problems from police. We didn't, because mo we were a fairly small crew. We tried to stay, you know, as low key as we could. It was a little crazy during some of those scenes on the main road in front of Norman's shop, where obviously we have a zombie like flailing around on the ground right. um, with people walking by and looking. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the whole thing, like, you know, it was challenging, but it was honestly really wonderful. Like, as I said, I live in Brooklyn, so it was just amazing getting to work within my own neighborhood and community to make this film. Like there were times again, you know, where it was, there were some roadblocks, you know, like having to deal with passing cars and people like walking through the shot. Um, and, you know, like I said, again, we had a very limited window to shoot within, but I'm definitely glad we kind of just went for it, which is exactly what we did. We didn't have any permits or anything. Um, I don't think we actually broke any rules either. As far as I know, the only one we may have broken is the stunt one, but I don't think that's actually true because we didn't have any actual weapons. Right, um, right. So, because I know, you know, when you're doing actual like stunts and fights, that's when you have to actually bring in like NYPD to monitor. Because, you know, if you have people with like fake, you know, prop weapons on set, that can really create an issue if, if you know, someone isn't like doesn't know what's actually going on. If that makes sense, you know, you don't want police like thinking whatever's happening is real. <laughs> right. um, <laughs> and, and I've heard nightmares we, yeah. <laughs> about that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That would be bad. Right. And I mean, that would yeah. explain, uh, the, the, the regular weapons where the characters have, they have a baseball bat and, uh, a princess wand, which is very uh, weird, <laughs> but okay. We, uh, we could go for that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, again, that was like a lot of it was just like trying to think of how some of this comedy would play out. And like, we knew we wanted it set on Halloween. So when we thought about like, well, you know, why might these people have weapons if it's like incorporated into their costume? Um, and so obviously my character, Liza, um, I don't know if you've ever seen a league of their, a league of, uh, mm -hmm. a league of their own. Yeah. Yes. Right. League of, yeah. A league of their own. Um, but, uh, you know, my character was one of the baseball players from that. She's a Rockford peach. So I had a bat. Um, and then, uh, Dylan, who was played by Katie Goffman, she had, yes, her pr princess wand because she was princess peach, which is, um, you know, a mix up on our part. We were supposed to have the same uh, as in our characters. We're supposed to have the same costumes, but they had a bit of a miscommunication. Uh, and then, um, Chloe, uh, who's played by Crystal Shanae was, uh, Katniss actually. I don't know if it was like super clear. It's supposed to be kind of just low key, but that's why she had the bow and arrow on her. Mm. Oh, okay. Didn't know. Didn't know about. Didn't recognize that one. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was. They were all pretty subtle. I mean, ours weren't super subtle, but they were subtle enough. Um, because you know it was Halloween. Right. So right. They were in costumes. Well, and had, had to justify why we might have some weapons on us. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And part of the uh, the excitement of an independent filmmaker filming on the streets, wherever it is in New York City. There's always, as you have mentioned, you have the bystanders and everything, because New York is mm -hmm. so active, even at night. Yeah, if you yeah. want to shoot night shots, 12, 3 o'clock in the morning, there there are people on the streets. So any type of complications that you think really stood out and it was really comical for your production? 
Yeah. So, well, obviously we knew foot traffic was going to be an issue. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually one of the reasons I decided to really make this a comedy and kind of play up the camp rather than just go for straight horror. Uh, you know, I think, for example, there's there's a part where uh, Joe, the character Joe is, you know, he's saying how he hasn't seen any living people in a long time. But meanwhile, you see passerbys just kind of walking by in the background. Uh, so there's that. And I think there's also another one where when um, Perry's character was just kind of like flailing on the ground, there was a passerby who walked right through set, but he kind of just like looks over his shoulder, sees him flailing, and then just, just completely ignores him and keeps going on walking. <laughs> and I don't, I just love that because it's so, it's so like New York. You're just like, okay, whatever. This guy's just flailing on the ground. I'm just going to ignore this. <laughs> right. That's a normal thing. Like, right. It's right. so perfect, but like it also just really works into the genre, like of, you know, oh, great. Here's some, you know, crazy guy in bath salts or, or some guy who's sick <laughs> or something. Let me just continue on my way. Oh, that is so true. It's, it, that is the daily life here. In New- I think we've seen and been through everything. Uh, in case of a real zombie apocalypse, I don't think New Yorkers would be afraid at all. They'll just go about their business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We would just continue on and completely ignore it. It's funny because that's actually like how I kind of originally came up with the idea for this story, um, which is kind of like daydreaming on the subway, thinking about like what, all, you know, what would happen if if there were a zombie apocalypse while you were underground on the train um, and how everybody would kind of react to it. Mm. You see, I, I had the same when I used to go to work and have that morning commute, I would have the same thought process as well. And I would say to myself, hmm, if an actor would walk in dressed as a creepy zombie and starts mm-hmm. flailing, would people just keep looking at their cell phones or would they panic? And I was saying to my wife, hmm, I should hire an actor and do like a one of those social experiments. <laughs> you said, you better not because you don't know the complications that may cause. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what would happen. That'd be interesting. But no, it's funny. I feel like maybe we all have had that same thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, one because yeah you know New Yorkers are so like we've seen it all so most people are just like whatever you really learn just to kind of I don't know just let things happen in stride and just continue on your day um, but it really does <clears throat> excuse me sorry it really does feel like you know the walking dead sometimes when you're on the train and like everyone's like shoving trying to get on and you're just trying to get off so I think that was like another reason why that just kind of popped into my head uh, like, yes. it just kind of feels very you know Zom- like like it just you it, it yeah i don't know it, it absolutely feels like the walking dead is it right. not the show but like really actually walking, walking dead, dead. <laughs> right uh, uh with the characters interesting slate of characters uh how was how long did it take really to craft these characters and put, uh, put them into this very interesting plot they, they all feel so relatable yet distinct in in fiction okay well i'm really glad you said that thank you that's great (laughs) um honestly okay so like i said you know before we we didn't have like i I actually wrote the entire thing in i think uh it was just a few days it was really over mainly two nights along with a couple of rewrites Mm -hmm. um but we actually had our cast before i sat down and really like uh, wrote the script you know we had I had like the concept kind of swirling around my mind and um, I did this short film challenge with this like actor group that I'm in called Actors Green Room 
And uh, we all were paired together and kind of just sent off. And it was like, okay, come back with a short film in a month. Um, and so with this group, like, you know, we sat down and started talking, like, does anybody have any ideas? You know, what do you, we kind of didn't really know actually what we were going to do. And at that point I was like, well, I have this idea. Like I'm willing to sit down and write it and see where it goes. And it kind of worked, honestly, having like a large cast. Mm-hmm. Of, of you know different very relatable people and I honestly it actually made the writing process incredibly easy because I just uh, you know knowing everybody and, and really like also like watching their reels and seeing like what kind of roles they like to go out for and what kind of types they are um, I just based each character off of off of you know the the actors I had to work with mm-hmm. um, and so kind of with that it was like it, it it's really just like following the conversations that I thought they might have and that how things might play out um, uh, and letting that kind of take the story where it was going to take it. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. And very interesting slate of characters. Once again, they're so relatable. And also do you see uh, this going forward, let's say like a feature or enhancing the project, let's say for a series, uh, especially with like, platforms such as Facebook and YouTube and Instagram where you could create uh, more content behind this idea? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, there's no plans for any of that, but mm-hmm. I, absolutely. Like, I, it's, I think I I really like making this film and I really kind of like, oh, hold on, my room is going off. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll just backtrack and start over. Um, Actually, can you, okay, hold on. Uh, oh, yes, that's serious. Okay. Uh, yeah, like I said, there's, uh, there, there's no plans um, for that at the moment, but it's something I've definitely thought about. Uh, I think I, I really like making this film, and I, I, this, I, don't know, I guess this, the whole concept is kind of um, uh, something I'm like passionate about, and it's kind of like near and dear to me, um, especially, I guess, you know, as my first short film. I have a lot of other projects I want to work on first, but I would absolutely love to come back to this, especially with, you know, more time and a bigger budget um, and, and kind of like, uh, I think, taking taking it further. I'm not sure what it would be, if it would be a feature or, you know, maybe a series. Um, but it's absolutely something I'm, I've thought about and would love to be able to do, <laughs> especially considered, you know, the, the way we did it. A lot of it had to, uh, you know, we had to make a lot of um, compromises throughout the process because we had such a limited amount of time. Right, right. And, and whenever budget comes into play, it does make help make the production elevate to the next level. That's that's an important factor right there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I know, like, you know, when I was at the Women in Horror Film Festival, which was just, uh, honestly, I have no, I don't know what we were even, we had no business being there. The films there were all uh, phenomenal. Um, it was just so well curated. They were, it was, they were so great. But it was like really, you know, easy to see like, oh man, like if we had just had more time and, and like a, a bigger budget, like I, I'm like seeing what other people were doing was really kind of helpful, I think for me. Mm-hmm. Like it was very inspiring. Seeing yes. all the work that was there. Yes. Uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. And for budget wise, I think it's, it plays well when you have that handicap and you're working with a low or zero budget and you rely on, as you had mentioned, uh, a neighborhood business to to help you guys out. Uh, not only does that bring mm-hmm. the community together and foster better relations uh, with talent and, and business owners, 
but also it just shows you what are you capable of. And if you do have the budget, you say, okay, maybe I could put XYZ over here and put ABC over there and really craft uh, the, the budget. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, be, like I said, being part of that, you know, short film challenge that we were doing, honestly, the constraints, while mm-hmm. they made it tough, they also, like, I think really forced us to plan efficiently and thoroughly and also just to go for it and to be, like, totally fearless. Like, like I am such a perfectionist. I mean, that's honestly an understatement. So it was really good for me to be forced to just make compromises and decisions quickly and just kind of move on and not get, I guess, too precious with things. Right. Uh, and realize like you, you can just do it. Like at the end of the day, like we, you know, had a very, very small budget. Um, we had a very short amount of time, but we, we made the film, we finished it. Um, and I, I'm really proud of that. And also, you know, it just taught me a lot. Exactly. Like you said, of like what, um, you know, I'm capable of doing. Closing out our, our interview, uh, three questions. One, uh, what do you have plans? What is in the works that you can share? And also add in your social media, your preferred social media handles. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll start with the social media real fast. Um, so on both Twitter and Instagram, I am uh, just at Devin McKell, and that's D-E-V-A-N-M-I-C-K-E-L-L. Um, and then in terms of future projects, uh, Right now, I have a huge, huge running list of film ideas. It's a little overwhelming, um, and I'm honing in on a few of them uh, for my next, you know, couple of projects. Uh, they're all going to be short horror films that deal with like different issues that specifically affect women. Um, but I don't, I don't know if I want to get into any of them too much right now, just because you know I'm still like seriously in early, early stages of brainstorming and, and starting to like write those out and figure out what they'll be. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm also right now writing a new web series with my friend, Odaya greenberg Manini, uh, who I also went to the Esper studio with. It's like a geeky workplace comedy set in Brooklyn that also occasionally kind of dips into elements of genre. So like horror and sci-fi. Oh, cool. Well, keep my eyes peeled for that. And, uh, <laughs> most likely you make the announcements on, on social media. I'll keep my eyes out for that. And yeah definitely i can definitely be posted too great Uh, to close out the interview i always uh like to add an inspirational piece for each interview so in your opinion um from your experience in filmmaking filmmaking and as of course a performer and actress what advices do you give those out who want to start out in either field or film production in general my bit of advice would be to just go for it. Don't ask for permission. Don't wait for someone to tell you that you're good enough or that you can do it. Like if you want to make films, just, just do it. Um, don't, don't wait for like, don't think you have to have a certain amount of money or certain amount of credits or experience, or I don't know, just whatever X, Y, and Z thing you think you have to check off first before you're, you know, quote unquote, allowed to make a film. I think just do it. Um, like with, with this film, I had no idea what I was doing when I started out and I learned so much. Um, but most of all, I learned that I can make a film if I want to. Um, and yeah, I think that, that, I guess, piece of insight is what I really took away from, from my first film and what I would really love to impart on, uh, other filmmakers. Thank you for that. And it's absolutely true. 
it, it sometimes it makes me laugh uh, when I see the advertisements in the subway or on the side of a bus to learn photography, learn filmmaking. I said, that's like telling yourself to learn to breathe. Uh, if you have it in you, you go with it and learn as you go along through experience. Uh, sure, you learn techniques in the classroom, but nothing compares to real life experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I know everyone's a different, you know, style of learner. Some people maybe uh, benefit better from learning in a classroom or at least need need that. I know at least for me with my acting, um, mm -hmm. having, you know, trained at, for two years full time at the Esper Studio, like really gave me the confidence um, and all the tools I needed to, to tackle any project. Um, I think before that, it was like, you know, something I knew I could do, but it absolutely did help having, I guess, a, a real solid tool set, knowing I can, I can handle any role I'm given and, and, you know, not being afraid of, oh, can I do this one? Um, but, you know, obviously when it comes to filmmaking, I have absolutely no training in that. Um, and I just went for it. So I guess it's kind of both sides of it in that case. But yeah. Thank you so much for this interview once again and all the information you have provided behind your film. And congratulations on the award you picked up at the Women in Horror for Zed Stai as well. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Um, and yeah, just thanks again. It was great. Segment four, trailer first impressions. DOJ. I hope this finds you. All my life, people have looked at me. I just want to be normal. Listen there, I just want to talk to you for a second. Like everybody else. The night. Kenneth is here for DK Mag. Kicking off our trailer first impressions is the trailer for the upcoming drama mystery thriller soon to hit on TNT, which is called I Am The Night. This series stars Chris Pine, India Isley, Jefferson Mays. The synopsis, inspired by true events, I Am The Night tells the gripping story of Fauna, Aldo, a teenage girl who is given away at birth and grows up outside of Reno, Nevada. Fauna lives more or less comfortably with the mysteries of her origin till one day she makes a discovery that leads her to question everything as Fauna begins to investigate the secrets of her past, she meets a ruined reporter, haunted by the case that undid him. Together, they follow a sinister trail that swirls ever closer to an infamous Los Angeles gynecologist, Dr. George Haro, a man involved in some of Hollywood's darkest debauchery and possibly its most infamous unsolved crime. Stacy, that was a lengthy synopsis. So I'm gonna put, give the floor over to you. What was your opinion on this trailer, I Am The Night? Um, well, truthfully, um, 
I felt like it was one of those where I have to wait and see to <laughs> because the trailer itself was a little confusing, but I liked it at the same time, but I couldn't really put anything together from the trailer. Mm, uh, I, on the other hand, I found the trailer to be quite interesting in that it showed enough of the main character, Fauna, not so much as the mysterious reporter. They kept they really kept him mysterious, despite he's portrayed by Chris Pine, a, a very top actor. Uh, but he was kept away from the limelight here. But uh, it's intriguing how it's based on a true story of this doctor, George Hoddle, and the infamous murder that they're referring to in the synopsis and in the trailer is the Black Dahlia murder. Have you ever heard of that a case, Stacey? I have. I don't know much about it, but I have heard of it. And there's a movie called The Black Dahlia, isn't it? Yes, yes, there is. A, based on the same thing, this young actress, she has a dream to become an actor. Well, this young woman has a dream to become an actress. She goes to Hollywood. Something happens to her. Her body is discovered in the field. And it was diced up Jack the Ripper style. Uh, she was cut, almost, cut in half. Her intestines were taken out. It, it was a brutal crime scene. And the person behind that murder, he was suspected of it, but he was never charged. Uh, I'm unsure what the case happened, the evidence, if it held up. It didn't hold up, obviously. But yeah, unsolved murder, the Black Dahlia murder. Wow, that's very interesting. I need to read up on, on that more because I had actually saved the Black Dahlia in my watch list and I never got back to it. Ah, well, checking out I Am The Night is a story based around that. And I'm intrigued. I want to see what happens here because in INDB, they have this a series listed as a drama mystery they forgot to add thriller this is a thriller you you're watching scenes in this trailer especially when the when the young girl fauna is walking through that hallway and there's some mannequins or something around her all right wait i'm waiting for a jump scare at that moment i'm preparing for something here for me it feels more as a thriller and of course drama mystery this show definitely looks interesting and I am definitely going to check it out. Oh, yes. Uh, we are going to secure some of our reviews, a series reviews uh, for this uh, upcoming series for TNT. So we're going to have the reviews and hopefully secure some interviews for this uh, feature uh, it looks it looks like a made for tv movie uh, just cut up into a, a a series a limited series and that's the same thing that happened with the alienist it was a mini series and now they have an, a second series perhaps we may see the same thing with this one i am the knight and then depending on how the viewership is they'll have a second season maybe different characters maybe the same characters let's see what happens but i'm intrigued i'm so anxious to review this watch it 
and hopefully secure some interviews behind this because I like the idea. This is original. We always ask for original stuff. Here it is. It's not 100% horror, but it is definitely a thriller, in my opinion, with mystery and drama elements. You know, there was a time we had to turn people away. Both rooms were booked up. Someone was in the kitchen having a meal. People were stopping in. So what brings you back around after all this time? Hospitality. Stacy Cox here with DK Mag, and Hospitality is our next trailer. Um, a woman with a checkered past must protect her son when a man brings trouble to her isolated bed and breakfast. Directed by Nick Chakwin and David Guglielmo. The cast stars Emmanuel Emmanuel Shriqui, Jim Beaver, J.R. Bourne, Sam Trammell, Connor McVicker. Ken, what did you think about hospitality? Uh, hospitality is interesting as a thriller. Hmm. A woman with a checkered past, she must protect her son. Then we have a, a mysterious man that shows up at her door. And yeah, shit is going to hit the fan. Uh, yeah, I've, I've seen this type of storyline before. But for some strange reason, it feels original in hospitality. I want to probably because the character she is a broken character meaning that she has many many flaws that the audience is going to really back her up not on the flip side of the coin let's say if she's like a hitman or a cop you know the typical tough person you won't really associate it as much because you know they're going to survive here you have somebody vulnerable with real life problems so it makes it feel authentic i agree and um and i'm on the same page with you it looks a little bit familiar but different at the same time and i was uh, thinking of films like uh you know come to think of it uh i can't really compare it to any film because i was uh thinking yeah i had some films in my mind i was like wait a minute no that's a completely different film it's not like the same thing because i was thinking of vacancy did you remember you remember that film yes. vacancy yes With, yes uh, yeah yeah i was thinking of films like that right but then as i remember the chat i'm like maybe not right it it does have that home invasion feel but not necessarily home invasion because okay this guy is in the house sure but he didn't invade the house he walked in so it doesn't classify as home invasion but uh, this mystery guy is gonna make her life very miserable i want to see how she's gonna kick his ass 
maybe physically or maybe mentally or perhaps both but she has to defend her son i'm interested to see how that's all gonna play out it it feels it's weird it feels original but it feels familiar it's one of those films that you gotta see and gotta absorb it the trailer is, is well put together it showcases some good acting i like the camera work and hopefully the film exhibits these good traits exactly and this is one that i'm definitely going to keep on radar uh, i'm going to add it to my watch list um and i don't know if i'll be able to go see it in theaters or not but you know at some point <laughs> yeah this is this is one of those films that uh it it's it looks to be a psych a slow burner psychological thriller and i think act one will you know, gradually introduce the characters and all that and their conflict and by the end of act two to act three that's when things really start picking up it looks that way from the trailer you kind of get that feel because they they put all these good parts in the trailer so i'm, I'm making the assumption that the uh educated guests here that that may be the case Between her fruitcake and her outfit, I wasn't sure if it was Christmas or Halloween. Garden Party Massacre. Ken Artuz here, continuing our trailer first impressions is our trailer first impressions for Garden Party Massacre. The film is written and directed by Gregory Blair. The synopsis is a gathering of friends goes awry when an uninvited guest appears with a pickaxe and an attitude okay well garden party massacre is doing exceptionally well on the film festival circuit it has won dozens of awards and some of them include best feature at fantastic horror film fest Outstanding Horror Comedy at Zedfest Film Festival, Best Film at Lucky Strike Film Festival, Outstanding Horror Comedy Feature at Los Angeles Academy of Film Awards, Best Narrative Feature Comedy, Hollywood Independent Filmmaker Award, and Best Comedy Artist and Aliens Film Festival. Okay, award-winning film, Oh, uh, horror comedy horror comedy is not necessarily my cup of tea I prefer my horror to be more serious tone uh, from the trailer what can I gather is okay this is as B-movie as B-movie can get the acting is B-movie acting The I can see there's it's comedic it's supposed to be slapstick uh, most of the jokes are innuendos 
and cater to uh, uh, okay i i didn't get the jokes some of the jokes they were like oh, oh okay that's what he meant oh whatever anyway it's too campy it's uh, horror comedy in my opinion has to have a certain chemistry to make even the casual viewer smile laugh or chuckle i did not do neither here that's basically what i have to say for this trailer stacy what is your opinion on it what did you get out of it the acting comedy what horror <laughs> now i know you could contemplate my face while watching this trailer <laughs> uh, <laughs> i was just like seriously seriously this is gonna be that one trailer that one movie that we're just like yeah no um <laughs> the comedy like i i will admit that i actually did chuckle at that uh that first little joke about um her outfit and everything <laughs> but other than that i'm like oh it's just the uh the uh, the acting yeah the special effects i'm like yeah no 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 yeah no <laughs> I, I i agree i watched the trailer three times and there was a joke an inside joke on the pitcher and the catcher and the guy says he's a shortstop but i, I didn't catch the joke and it's not because of the uh, the joke itself is the way it was delivered there was no emotion behind it there was no setup like okay, if they were playing on a baseball field you have to set up a joke they're standing around drinking out of a cup alcohol where's the setup where's how it just doesn't add up and plus the sound i I'm watching this trailer on my home system and it sounds mumbled like they have a sock in their mouth or something. I don't know. This their acting is just way off. And yeah, that's that's my biggest complaint. I'm I'm sure it's won awards for whatever the case may be, but for my opinion <laughs> it's just it's it's falling short for me in that in the comedic element and how it's delivered. Well, the whole film is just a little short uh or I, I shouldn't even say the whole film not the film the trailer i mean I, the trailer is uh yeah it's just out of place uh, <laughs> 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 I, I could not with this trailer i just said i can't i, I mean this whole roundup of like everything we're talking about and this is going to be that one film that's just like the ugly duckling <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> the wow. ugly duckling oh wow that's bad that's terrible so that's so basically you're saying that garden patty massacre is the lady who arrived with the with the cake at the at the start of the trailer right that <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know what this actually reminded me of? Pool party massacre. Pool party ma Come on, really? I def <laughs> I agree. What is up with these? If you go onto INDB and type party massacre, there's hundreds of movies with the same title. Can't they come up with the? I, I know it may not have been the director. 
most likely it's, it falls on the distribution end that they want to change the name to market the film but we have thousands of movies with the same name come on it's uh, no i give it a pass just for that <laughs> Uh, yeah, and not only that, but like just the special effects, the acting, it all reminded me of Pool Party Massacre. And I'm actually thinking like, oh, I wonder if they're by the same director. <laughs> to totally different directors, yeah. But I agree, it's, it's the same, it's so generic. It, And you would expect this mm -hmm. type of generic feel from Hollywood not from the indie scene come on give it a break guys make a different uh, film title uh yeah we have rave party massacre we have pool party massacre garden party massacre ugly sweater party massacre come on guys give it a break already uh what what else can i say <laughs> because uh, massacres happen at parties <laughs> Hey, massacres happen anywhere. With a few drinks, anything is possible these days. Oh, uh, well, hey, I I would I would watch the film in its entirety, get the full feel for it. But I already I already know what to expect. It's something about B movie acting that really, yeah. I would to watch a B movie. It, I have to be in the mood to watch it because I know I'm not expecting emotional content, nothing psychological. And for comedy, as I said, it has to have a good punchline. The trailer showcased some jokes, but I just didn't find them funny. Come on. What's the punchline, guys? No punchline. It was a punchline. It was just a corny punchline. Oh, hey, I'm notorious for saying corny jokes. Let me tell you. But yeah, that was really bad. <laughs> oh, it was one of those. It was like one of those jokes where you try to make a joke and you're the only one who thinks it's funny. You laugh at your joke, and then everyone's just looking like, huh? Yes. Yes. <laughs> that well, that's me in most. Uh, social gatherings uh, that's why I say you know uh, joking is not I'm not a comedian uh, no I, I prefer I prefer that to leave it to the professionals and <laughs> yeah th this film is, does not make it didn't make me laugh I watched it three times it didn't make me laugh at all and I thought something was wrong with my audio like, wait a second all my everything's plugged in why are these actors sound so mumbled <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, I think it's just the movie or the uh, trailer, right? I, I think and that, yeah, it's, it's just did you did bad, you catch pretty much just about everything? Yeah, but did you catch it in the trailer? At one part, we have the woman, the one who brought in the she's talking. I hear her speaking, but her lips are not moving. Is this intentional? Was there something wrong with the tape here? Is Something's off with this trailer. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's out of sync. And you know what? I had come to the conclusion with this is that it's one of those films where it's intended to be B-movie-ish uh, just for, you know, comedy's sake. Right. Yes. That's what, yeah. That's why I, we're giving our critique here and everything. 
there's a, there's a demand for B movies such as this, and perhaps that's why it's garnered so many awards. There's a, there's a fan base for this, and well, sure, you like it. That it would definitely appeal to you. It didn't appeal to me, uh, but I'll watch the tr the film, review it give it a good critique and, and really analyze it, but the trailer just didn't cut it out for me. Yes, I think if you look at it in that light, it'll probably make it more um, acceptable. <laughs> like, like it's like, oh yeah, they meant to do this on purpose. It's kind of like, a, you know, like Thanksgiving or something. Okay, this movie was meant to be stupid. So now, okay, I can you know, relax a little bit and not even just think too much, not be too serious about it. Brutal. Stacey Cox here with DK Mag, and the last trailer we're talking about is called Brutal. Directed by Takashi Hirose, written by Takashi Hirose. The stars, um, the cast stars Katrina Gray, Takashi Nish Nishina, Naho Nakashima. The synopsis A savage murderer is on the prowl. One by one, his victims fall, but what is he searching for? The same thing a murderess is searching for. We are all looking for that special love of our lives, and sometimes we're willing to kill everyone to find that special someone. This is the fate, no, this is the tale of two people finding each other in the most vicious way possible. One man, one woman, pure brutality. Uh, well, um, <laughs> that is a interesting concept there, and even more interesting is the trailer. Ken, what did you think about Brutal? Well, Brutal is the latest release through Unearth Films, and uh, for those who are listening who are unaware of Unearth Films, they have a they distribute really intense films that goes into violent content special effects practical effects is on the high end usually the acting is not so good but the showcase of the film is the practical effects and violence this trailer doesn't say nothing at all and i like it i'm curious because i'm reading the synopsis and i see all that blood and gore in the trailer and I know what to expect. And with, you have to give it to the Asian market. They really know how to do gore. And Stacy, I know one film in particular that you have mentioned many, many times before that is high in the gore factor. Yeah, I think this would fall under that category as cult classic. Oh yeah, definitely. And I love the clips of the trailer and I'm just at awe and I'm like, yeah, unearthed films. Um, if you're one that loves extreme horror, extreme gore, you know, all those underground films, unearthed films is 
wanted to go to places. Yeah, I think they're their only go-to places from what I know. Well, uh, Toe Tag Productions is another uh, outlet. But uh, yeah, sometimes I'm in a mood to watch something like this. But like I said, I know the acting's going to be bad, but Asian market, Japanese, Thai, um, China, they, when they create, their acting is spot on and you really see drama in the actors and then they complement that with the gore factor but this it looks so real like fingers getting cut off eyes gouging wow the really good work over there oh, yeah. yeah like a snuff film right exactly yeah, and a lot of films that come from unearthed films look like snuff films right and um and yeah, and I was gonna say that about uh, Asians too. Like, um, a lot of times their acting is uh, pretty good, but when it comes to films such as these, and again from Unearth Entertainment, um, the acting is a little bit low scale. While you mentioned, you know, practical effects, special effects being upscale, and you know, it works. It really does. Yes, it works. Um, yes, because like. For films uh, such as this, I mean, I think for pretty much any you know horror film, uh, it would be ideal to for everything to be in sync. But more than anything else, we want those practical effects and those special effects to be spot on. Because I mean, I cannot take a horror movie seriously, and I'm looking, and it looks like you know just like ketchup spurting out you know you go try to mutilate somebody and it literally looks like ketchup right i i, I can't take it seriously right <laughs> yeah i agree i agree and or or like hollywood thinks it's a great idea to use cgi and instead of creating a werewolf like american world from london you have twilight yeah. a big oversized dog yeah that oh. no that doesn't work it doesn't work guys it doesn't no 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 it doesn't <laughs> well brutal hmm I, I the poster here on indb i'm not sure if that's the the poster they're gonna keep but i i, I like the art i enjoy the trailer because you they don't show nothing they only show you what they want you to see and that's the gore and i think that's the showcase here the synopsis interesting two killers a male and a female and they find love Ooh, interesting. Uh, that's something that Disney does not do. <laughs> yes, and I'm up here looking at that like, wow, that's uh, something. And you know what it also made me think about, um, and this is a completely different movie and, and different concept, but you remember when we were watching, uh, what was it, the, the Euthanizer? Yes, yes. And and how you know this woman found him and that she's just all aroused at what he does and it made me think of that so i'm like okay right this weird awkward like twisted romance here so i'm visualizing this being some twisted romance right yeah i i i i I, i'm let me tell you i can't wait for this film to come out december 11 is right around the corner that's when it's going to be released on dvd VOD, I believe, and it's coming out through Honor Films. So, yeah, I'll keep my eye out for this one. It's going to most likely have subtitles, of course, because it's in Japanese. 
and yeah i'm looking like i said this would fall into cult classic this is one of those films that people are gonna watch wait for it and get it somehow some way and is really gonna get popular i think all of unearthed films are really cult. you know it's gonna is are gonna be cult classics um honestly a lot of um films from unearth i think you can only watch through their vimeo yes through their private vimeo channel and then when i even went to their vimeo channel not all of the films on there are available to watch the full film you know you have all these trailers and you only have like a handful of films or featured films that you can watch right yes i do i do believe that they opened up a streaming service not so long ago and they're believe they're expanding on that uh, their library of course you could order the dvds through their website and this would make a great addition to anyone's collection for those who enjoy these type of movies i don't have anything in my collection that even comes close to unearth films uh what they dish out either. i mean not in my you know my little collection here um on me i don't have any films like this i usually watch these through streaming right um but it's but it's like uh i think the only film i actually have that that can come close to it is the terrifier (laughs) i have (laughs) yet to watch that (laughs) i have yet to watch that but um but yeah and remember when we were talking a little while a short while ago about um like these uh directors starting to go underground with their work because they don't really want to be found or they want to be found by the right people remember when we were talking yes. about that and i wonder if um you know unearth films is going to do the same thing where like right now these titles are available but i wonder if they're going to do the same thing where they're going to start you know making their title subliminal or just like kind of putting them into a little vault and you got to know somebody to <laughs> find the film right yeah we were we were making a comparison with those type of films in our conversation with this music genre called witch house in which it's difficult to find the music or artists because they're not on a record label they're independent you can find them on soundcloud but good luck finding them because they use weird uh, names, weird combinations of letters and numbers and symbols, and you cannot find the artist. So you got to know someone that knows someone or dig yourself. So I think that's this type of niche of film. The filmmakers are not looking for yeah. buck. They just want to create art and, and put a stamp in the horror because, cinema. Yeah because i mean just think about it like the type of films uh that come from unearthed films like we said like they look like snuff films like you think they're real because you know like oh the practical effects is just awesome and then also the cinematography makes you think it's a snuff film i mean it kind of looks like you know someone is there filming it like as it's going on you know like you're kind of like living it in real life or something and um and you know just think like if they were to release these films in like the open public 
band, <laughs> band with a capital band. Just like, you know, how a Serbian film was banned in what, 19 countries, right? <laughs> yeah, those type of films would never make it to the cinemas at all. Oh, uh, yeah. And wasn't, I think, even like Human Centipede 2, I read was banned. I was like, how is that film banned? Like, <laughs> that's, that's like a so, Disney film. That is a, that has the film. I know. I was like, I read somewhere, I think it was banned in like nine countries for a, a human centipede too. I was like, huh? Okay, I guess. But, um, oh yeah, these kinds of films from unearned films, yeah, this would never fly in, um, in the open public. <laughs> we will never see Hollywood <laughs> in these films. That is so true. Oh man, but they're really good films. So if you if you have the um, if you have the eyes for you know extreme horror, yeah, check them out. Thank you for tuning in to DK Mag Podcast Season Nine, Episode Four. My name is Ken Artuz, founder for DK Mag, and joining me as co-host for this episode is Stacy Cox, staff correspondent for DK Mag. Be sure to stop by our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash DK Mag. Your donations will help us bring future episodes. As a patron, you'll receive bonus content as well as free and discounted on upcoming DK Mag merchandise. And you can find DK Mag podcast on Google Music, iTunes slash Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, all major podcasting platforms. Also, follow us 